Jam-packed to the rafters. Let's go up to our ring announcer. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. And welcome to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thank you guys so much for being back with us here. It is episode 233, and it is Monday, August the 2nd, 2021. We're here to start your week off right as we romp you through the world of retro wrestling. As always, I'm Joe Murata. I'm joined by Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Howdy diddy. Quinn, August is already upon us. Can you believe it? August. Flying. Yeah, August. August. Yeah, there's been a gust of uh, August flying in here, folks, and Thank you for flying in, because we're going to romp you through the world of retro wrestling. That's what we do, Quinn. Yeah, we, we romp. We, we romp. gust. Yeah, we, we gust right A through gust it. of OVP just came through. Yes, that's right. But uh, you can gust on over if you want to, <laughs> to Twitter, if you want to follow us there, at OVP Podcast on Twitter. No, we don't have clips. No. They're we've, not we've coming gusts, back. No clips. Yeah. <laughs> but what you can find over there still... It's still a fun account, we think, and some other people hopefully do. We're trying. Yeah, we have you know posts every single day, you know, dozen posts or so. Funny pictures. You ever hear of that? Yeah, funny <laughs> pictures. You ever hear of Photoshop and <laughs> funny pictures? Uh, clippings from magazines. Ooh, Ooh, a lot of stuff though. Really, go follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can also email us if you want to at OVP Podcast at Gmail dot com. That is OVP Podcast at Gmail dot com. But Quinn, the best place if people want to talk to you and me and over 1,100 other retro wrestling fanatics is where? Over at Facebook.com slash Gust, of course, because this is the gustiest episode. Very gutsy. Well, over there, they got a search bar, right? Oh. You can type in the search bar, our vantage point, dash, retro wrestling podcast, bing, bang, boom, tubes, gore, kafloey, gust. Gust. And then over there, you can uh, hit the join group button, and then you're just in. So I think when you're when you're going to join the group, right? Right. There's one rule that comes up. I've heard. It's just one rule, folks. Uh-huh. It's don't be what? A dunderhead. Don't be a dunderhead. No, don't do it. <laughs> All that means is, you know, on the internet, maybe you don't know this, but on the internet, sometimes people argue. <gasps> we're okay with arguing, really. We're okay with disagreements. Mm-hmm. What we're not okay with... Dunderheadry. Is that how you say it? We don't want any dunderheadery. There you go. Just don't be There's a jerk. A word. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. Don't be a jerk. Be nice. No personal attacks. You can disagree if you want to disagree about, you know, Rick Martell or Kamala or Dusty Rhodes or something. Feel mm-hmm. free. Just don't be like a jerk about it. You yeah, know? <laughs> right. Don't call people names. Yeah. Don't anyway. do it. <laughs> so, anyway, go over to our Facebook group if you want to talk about old wrestling with a bunch of people. And uh, we also have, if you're interested, if you're not, just hit the skip button a few times. A Patreon, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. That's not some get rich quick type of thing. No. We're not trying to rip you off. We have extra content. It's for people who like this show that they hear every week and they want more of what we do. Two separate shows, the 1984 canon with now, finally, the world champion Hulk Hogan. Wow. We finally entered the Hulk Hogan era. into that. Yep. That's one show that we do. And the other show, Quinn, the pay-per-view reviews. We've gone through every single one. We are still on the Lex Express, but by this weekend, everybody, the Lex Express will have stopped 
at the Palace at Auburn Hills. The Palace. Where Lex Luger is clearly going to win the world title. He's set up. I mean, he's ready to go. All he's got to do is pin that Yokozuma. That's all he's got to do. That's what he's got to do. That's all he's got to do. And we'll have a new world champion. So if you want to take part of the two extra OVP shows, you can do so if you wish at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. But Michael. Yes. This season, we've been doing a new segment. It's been a fun one so far, the last couple we've done. Mm -hmm. What this is, folks, when you think of some of the best characters or wrestlers of all time, right? A lot of people go to their Ric Flairs, Mm -hmm. maybe their Hulk Hogan's, their Stone Cold's, The Rock, even Bobby Heenan, right? In terms of all time characters. Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake, Piper. Yeah. But there are people uh, that we watch growing up or you look back on when you watch the older wrestling that play a very important role mm-hmm. in the overall presentation, in the storylines, in the build, in the angles, in the matches, whatever it might be. They're not going to be on anyone's Rushmore, probably. They're not going to be considered an all-time great, but they are what we like to call the Unsung Heroes. All right, Michael. Mm-hmm. This is my pick this week. Right. I wanted to go for, not really a wrestler, I Mm. wanted to go for someone that, you know, you might have heard of him from this little small podcast. Right. He has a a small podcast. Yeah, and and hopefully we can help get them some exposure. I think this will be the segment that will uh, really take them to the next level. Catapult them, right? Right to the top. Right. We're talking about Brother Love, portrayed, of course, by Bruce Pritchard. Brothers and sisters! Now, Brother Love, Quinn, I would, in, in, in all seriousness, I would say that if it wasn't for the Pritchard show... There'd probably be a lot less remembrance of Brother Love, the character, these last five years. Do you agree with that? I, I agree with that. But you know what's funny? I, I feel like on this show, especially in the pay-per-view canon over there on patreon.com slash OVP podcast, over there, we do kind of talk in reverence of Brother Love a we lot do. more. And I figure we bring that to the mainstream today. Right. But th- this is a whole segment devoted to the Brother Love character. The character. Right? So don't if you don't like Pritchard, and but we're not talking about Bruce Pritchard, the podcaster or we're the not producer. Talking about Reno, whatever that other thing he was. <laughs> Rio Rogers. Yeah. Brother Love, the character, I think is actually an unsung hero in a lot of ways. And I guess to, to the genesis of this was in 1988 when the Brother Love Show debuted, but what was the Brother Love Show? Right, well, and why did they even do that? Uh, right. Yeah. As you guys know, and Quinn, you know this, there used to be a, a show called Piper's Pit. Right. Well, before that, there was Roger's Corner yes. and Victory Corner and all those corners. And Piper's Pit was the first one to be hosted by a heel. Yeah. Roddy Piper. By an active wrestler. By an active not, wrestler. Not, Good not point. an old man. Yep, not Buddy Rogers. And Piper's Pit was the one that kind of really set the standard for what a heel interview segment should be. Mm-hmm. And it ran from 84 until 86 with a break. And then he came back later in 86 and, and took it until 87. Right. Big things happened on that. Obviously, his feud with Jimmy Snuka mm-hmm. was kicked off on that. And then a lot of platform for Piper to really get himself over, but also to get other people over and get angles over. And things happened on Piper's Pit. The Adonis feud happened on mm-hmm. Piper's Pit, right? And obviously the Hogan-Andre angle unfolded on Piper's yeah, Pit. Yeah, some of the bigger moments. It was kind of like they took um, the Rogers Corner concept of like the important shit happens here. Because remember, that was going on. We've yes, covered all 83. of that. Like in 83, like the important shit was happening on Rogers Corner. It's just they said, what if we put a wrestler that's a heel in yeah. there to do it instead of just somebody everyone likes? And this is Piper at the height of his talking ability in right. the mid-80s. I mean, yeah. he really is an awesome heel during this time. But he retires, allegedly, in 1987. Right. 
And there were a couple of other shows that they had floated around and they had had mm-hmm, in the interim. Mm-hmm. There had been, in like 86, Jesse Ventura's Body Shop and it stunk. Welcome to Jesse the Body and the Body Shop. That was really bad. There was also Jake Roberts. Again, a great talk. Jesse, a great talker. Jake so, Roberts, so a great talker. Jake Roberts, I think, had the most potential. I think the problem was is he was like turning face too quickly. True. By the time he turned face, it was just like, what is the point of this It was anymore? never that good, yeah, right? I, I think... I really think the snake pit just had no time to really get started. True. Like, yeah. you know, and something important did happen, but it only pertained to Jake the Snake because it was the honky the stuff. The honky angle, right? that's right. Like, it had nothing to do with anybody else. Right. So there's kind of a void, right? Right. And then they try out, and this is a pretty famous story. Some, most of you probably know this. Uh, unaired segments <laughs> with Missy Hyatt. Yes, Missy Hyatt in... Missy's Manor, and there's like eight of them, and they're all awful. They're all awful, and it's just a bad fit. It's just not good. Hi, welcome to Missy's Manor. I'm your host, (laughs) Bobby Heenan and Harley Race, you know. But then in June of 1988, we are introduced on Challenge, by the way, the B Show, to the Brother Love Show by Bruce Pritchard. Right, and I, you know, first of all, I gotta say, this is coming off the Missy Hyatt thing, right? It's about a year afterwards. Boy, oh boy, I, I mean, this seemed weird honestly like this idea it's like who first of all who the fuck is brother love right nobody's ever heard of him second of all he's like a preacher what does this have to do with wrestling i guess like that's your first like if you're a wrestling fan you're like i don't get it that's my favorite thing so the brother love character is essentially a parody a full dress parody of what was a trend of popular television evangelists at the time. Right. Tammy Lee Baker. Jim Baker. There was a bunch at the time. There was uh, Jerry Falwell. And I believe the one that Bruce Pritchard uh, modeled it on was Robert Tilton. There were a lot in the 80s. It was like a thing. The thing with the 80s also was that they were notably corrupt. There was Um, always scandals. There was was one where I think the Bakers went to prison. This morning, a jury in Charlotte, North Carolina, convicted Jim Baker of living a life of luxury at the expense of many of his followers. And, like, I always felt like the brother love, while he was based off maybe one of the other ones. It's really an amalgamation. Yeah, he's supposed to be crooked. Oh, yeah. Because uh, he's got rings that right. all gold rings and stuff like that. And he's mysteriously has money yep. backing. The, this show is, like, overly produced. It's, like, better than the regular show. It's got a big elaborate set. It's got its own music. He has a white microphone. He has, like, a lectern and all these yeah, things. yeah. And- Brother Love himself, right, in the all-white suit with the red shirt, the red face, the stupid glasses, the slick hair. That's just parody stuff all the way is the red face thing. That that is just to make you, like, really hit home how, like, what a fake he... Yeah. What a fraud, you know? And like you said, all the rings that Gorilla would always be like, his fingers are turning green, brain! The rings are important because his hands are always in the frame. Yep. So you can just see, like, ugh, so slimy. He's got, like, a million gold rings on and stuff. Like, it's just disgusting. Brother Gorilla! No, you're not, you're not a brother of mine. And this show ran from 88 until 91, the first run of it. But this is where the big boss man attacked Hulk Hogan. Right. Which is a, was a huge angle, because mm-hmm. that feud was a really big deal on the house show loop. This was where the mega powers had Hercules join them. Remember the yeah. DiBiase? <laughs> brother Hercules! <laughs> and this is also where, pretty notably, Earthquake... Attacked Hulk Hogan. Squished him and then uh, get well Hulk started and all that. This is also where the whole Jake Roberts, Rick Martell angle was. That's true. I think the big thing that this show was a part of was just the Macho King and Sensational Sherry in general and their everything they were doing. It was like Brother Love was their like companion. Yeah, Yeah, their companion, their everything. Well, you know something, Sister Queen, Brother Macho, if you ever did. 
Mother Love was like the number one cheerleader for for Sister Queen, Sister and Queen, for the Macho King, right? And he was like, he was like, really just sucked up to them all the time. It's like Macho King, you're the best, <laughs> right? And, uh, Sister Queen, Sister the, Queen, the prettiest queen in the land. Like you know, just like like just really fluffing their ego Laying constantly, it on. which which kind of feeds into the both of them went crazy thing. Oh yeah, they it's love like that. It. There's this this. Like really, like dorky yes man to like tell them how great they are every right. day, right? Like, and they need that reassurance, right? right? Yeah. And then obviously his work with them in the Dusty Roads and Sapphire feud—it's oh, so good. That even makes Royal Rumble yeah. pay per view. I mean, it makes pay per view. That's his best work, in my opinion. Is that yeah, feud that the whole, whole thing? Oh my god, it's so good. Look at Sapphire. Look at Now, why I think he's an un- unsung hero is a couple of reasons. Everything that was major that was involved or revolved around the Brother Love show was actually really good. Right. And we hadn't seen that since Piper's Pit. No, right? Where definitely important not. Important things happen. But also because Bruce Pritchard, the man, portrayed this character in such a hateable but like hilarious way. He also seemed committed to the gimmick. He like, was. It, you could tell like... To the point where I believe Vince, you know, gave him an ultimatum and said, you can't work in the back and be Brother Love. Yes. So you got to pick one or the other, right? That, that was when Brother Love managed The Undertaker. That's right. another thing that Brother Love did, right? Right. Kane, The Undertaker, he's mine! Oh, mine! And Vince gave him the choice. You can either go on the road with The Undertaker or you can work in the office. And Bruce probably wisely chose The Office, but... Brother Love is, there's so many nuances there. Like, we mentioned the rings. We mentioned the red face and all that. And the white microphone, which I just think is a nice touch, yeah. right? But also the, uh, either the malaprop with the names or the way he just called everyone, bro- like, Brother Million for yeah. Ted DiBiase. Brother Million. But there's also, like, Brother Dugan, which, <laughs> is, which is the combination of messing up the name and doing the brother thing, which is, like, one of my favorites. A brother Dugan? Is that, like, a Bill Watts nod? I, it might be, I don't in know, all but, like, he would do this all the time. Brother Snake! <laughs> brother Snake Not Jake. Good. Not Brother Jake. Brother Snake. <laughs> and also, let's not forget, Quinn, the, uh, the connection to Ted DiBiase. I don't know when it's overtly said. I think Brother Love himself says, My benefactor! Brother Million Dollar Man! Yep. Here's the thing. Just that fact alone helped both Brother Love and Ted DiBiase because this adds to the whole concept in WWF in the late 80s and early 90s that even if the Million Dollar Man is not even involved in your angle, <laughs> right. he somehow has his fingers in everything. And I think the announcers would, would say this too. Yep. Hey, you know, everybody's in his pocket. Yep. Like, you know, and I love the idea of Ted DiBiase while not as in the world title scene, but pulling the strings yep. with absolutely everything. And they and they and I thought the Brother Love show was like a perfect example of this. Absolutely, because that's the only reason the inference is that's the only reason the Brother Love show is allowed to be on the air. Right. Is because DiBiase's financing, which pisses off the faces even more. Right. right? They can't get rid of him. <laughs> right. Right. It's like they, they can't like just beat the shit out of him or whatever <laughs> yeah. and just get rid of him. It's like, no, he's got million dollar man backing him up. That's the right? problem, right? And not only that, the uh, Brother Love show is where Ted DiBiase unveiled to the world the million-dollar title. Right. That when, so, when he was a vampire. When he, yeah. <laughs> well, after the cape, yeah. yeah. 
Obviously, uh, Brother Love did end his show in 91. The warrior, like, destroyed the set. It's actually a pretty cool moment. He beats mm-hmm. the fuck out of Brother Love. Finally, a character just Yeah, does just it. like, fuck and you. I, and I also want to say this about just that idea, too. This wasn't the first time somebody got physical with Brother Love. That shows you how powerful the Brother Love character was. He was a heel, right? So if anybody would attack him, it was a face, right? Yes. But he's not a wrestler, so if the faces attack him, they're kind of jerks, right? But because he was so freaking hateable, <laughs> yep. like the fans were okay with people taking cheap shots. Oh, hell yeah. On, like, it just, like just beating him up for no reason. He's because, an asshole. Because he's a fucking <laughs> asshole. And everyone's just like, I want to see Jake the Snake punch him in the face. Right. Or, or like, you know, Macho, or when Macho Man was face yeah. or when Hulk or Hulk Hogan yeah. or Ultimate Warrior. Like they don't care if Brother Love is not even like like asking for it. They right. just want him to get punched in the face. Remember when Sensational Sherry has the weird fucking mask on? Yes. And like the hose on it. The, yeah. <laughs> that, that weird like Marie Antoinette outfit yeah. and Brother Love is putting Sensational Sherry in front of him. And like that's like a per- That's a nice touch, though. Yeah, that's right? like a perfect example of right. just like what a fucking scumbag. First of all, Sensational Sherry's a heel, but he's putting a woman in right. front of him and like preventing the warrior from beating him. Like he is so scummy. Or when at Royal Rumble he waddles up behind Sapphire and pulls her off of Sherry or yeah, Savage. Yeah. Like, of course, he'll only get physical with the woman. Right. You know what I mean? And even even the women women that are his friends, like Sensational Sherry, yeah. he'll use them as a right. human shield. He's such a coward. You Just know? scummy, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, the Brother Love Show folks did briefly come back in late 95, early 96, and it was not nearly as... They didn't even do it with the set anymore. They did it in the ring, but... It did unveil, and there's canon here, Quinn. Mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase brought on right. his million-dollar champion, the ringmaster, Steve Austin, but the canon of DiBiase like, bringing the show right. back. So when he comes back, they actually, they very overtly say in 96 or whatever that, you know, Ted DiBiase <laughs> has something so important that he's bringing back the brother <laughs> love. They, they, they acknowledge that, no, Ted DiBiase is bringing the Brother Love show back because he has something important to show us. Right. He wants this to be like a special occasion, right? Yeah, it's so good, right? Yeah. And rejoice! For Brother Love is alive! And he'd pop up occasionally. He was in the gimmick battle royal. But when I'm talking about the unsung hero aspect, I'm really talking about this prime run from 88 to 91. He was the, that was the place on the show where storylines kind of moved. Yeah. And in theory, they had a great idea at WrestleMania Five. I didn't want to forget to mention this. Right. With Roddy Piper, the the originator, right? right. Piper's, Piper's Pit. Pit finally coming back at WrestleMania. Yep. To meet Brother Love from the Brother Love Show, the modern day equivalent. But the monkey wrench being Morton Downey, like another, the, another talk yeah. show host, but like the opposite of the evangelist thing. Yeah, right? completely he's opposite. Like, he's the he's the anti-evangelist Absolutely. character, right? And of course, the segment was terrible, but that's really besides the point. I don't know. It is funny when Brother Love gets his pants ripped or his kilt ripped off I or whatever so, happens, yeah. and he has to run away. And it's start, and like classic Brother Love, right? Yeah, it is. You're right. Overall, though, it's a great character because Bruce Pritchard played it so. With new, I feel like there's just a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of things that were thought through. Yeah, I like the fact that uh, everyone's fine with him getting comeuppance. Yeah, no, there's never <laughs> like, there's never a moment where you're like, "What a jerk for beating up!" Right, Brett. like everyone's like, "Of course, yeah, yeah, that's what we want to see. Right. We want to see someone just punch him in the face, right?" Because he's legitimately an asshole. There's no redeeming quality about <laughs> oh, yeah, him. Yeah, he's completely corrupt. <laughs> right, like it, it, it really is like 
I love the pops when a face just like grabs his like collar yep. or something and starts. And he, wah, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, it, it, that is just like it, that's how you know the brother love yep. character is working. Or when Jake accidentally DDT'd him because he couldn't see. Right. On the, yeah. Remember that when he thought it's it was like, well, Martel? brother love gets what he deserves, <laughs> right? He was playing into this whole blinding Jake thing and he yep. gets DDT'd for it. Yeah. Over here, like yeah. such an asshole, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's just a great character that I think is an unsung hero because it led to a lot of. A lot of memorable things happened on the Brother Love the Show. one of better heels ever. Yeah. Wasn't like in the main event scene too much, but he was a catalyst for a lot of things that were in the main event scene. Right, yeah. Or he was just, you know, kind of a conduit for other things to happen that were fun or a big deal. Very entertaining. So hopefully now you can check out, you know, something to wrestle with Bruce Prejudice. Small little podcast. Yeah, a small little one, but... Uh we wanted to give the shout out. We right? wanted to try to help the little guys out. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean, know they're struggling. We're all about helping all independent podcasters on this show. I heard you've been talking shit on your stupid little OPP podcast. Nobody even listens to this shit. Bruce Pritchard, we are happy to sing your praises. You are this week's Unsung Hero. And folks, you can let us know what you think of the Brother Love character. Do you have any fond memories of it? A lot of big things happen there. Let us know what you think about it over on Twitter at OVP Podcast. Join the group, Facebook slash Gusto, or you can obviously shoot us an email. But Quinn, when we come back, it's week two of the Royal Rankings. That is the best celebrities in wrestling. That'll be coming up right after this. Wrestling fans, to our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for being with us here for episode 233. It is Monday, August the 2nd, 2021. And Quinn, we mentioned earlier that we do have a Patreon. We have that. We don't try to get rich off of this or screw people out of their money or anything no, like that. we don't do that over here. The whole point of this, folks, is if you like our show and you want to support us, we're going to give you extra stuff in return. That's all there is to it. It's patreon.com slash OVP podcast, okay? There's two tiers. The $2 tier is the 1984 canon. I'll explain what that is. It's an audio or video show. We've watched every WWF Championship Wrestling since January of 82. Right now we're in January of 84. Well, so there's all that content on there. 
The free ones are actually on this podcast feed or YouTube, uh, the older ones. And basically, we're going through week by week. It comes out every Friday. It's Quinn and I watching it the same way you'd watch wrestling with your friends. Yeah, it's just like hanging out with us and watching this old wrestling that may or may not be good. But yeah. that's that's the fun of it, right? You don't know. You it's don't a grab know. bag. Right. The episodes could be fantastic. They could be crappy. And then we're talking about Carvel and shit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you never know what you're going to get on the canon. And they're only one hour. Right. It's very simple. And we do some specials every now and then. MSG shows. We'll do the full MSG show. We have a couple of those. So mm-hmm. it is a fun time. And it's on the $2 tier. That's $2 a month if you can swing that. And if you can swing $5 a month, you'll get the 84 Canon and you will also get the monthly pay-per-view review series. From the first WrestleMania up to King of the Ring 93, every pay-per-view has been reviewed. Coming out by this weekend, SummerSlam 93, Quinn. The Lex Express, like we said. Can't wait for our new world champion. Yeah, oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a big deal. Uh, Finally, the the reign of Yoko Zuna is over. That's it, finally. If Hulk Hogan couldn't do it, we know Lex Luger can. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know what we think about every WWF pay-per-view, that's your tier for you because it's $5 a month. It's every single one. Once a month, they come out. And like I said, it includes the 84 canon. That's if you want to support us. If you don't or if you can't, we completely understand that, but we have this available if you want to. It's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. All right, Michael. Yes. Royal rankings. It's time. It is time. I'm excited about this one. This is a this has been a fun one so far with the rankings and the flush that we've done. Oh, this this is so much fun. You know why I like it? Because good, bad, um, celebrities are just fun. They're just fun in Celebrities general, and right? wrestling are just fun, right? Yeah. So what is the Royal Rankings and Royal Flush? Well, each season, before the season starts, we ask you fans. So give us a list of your top 10 of something and your bottom 10 of something. And that's over on Facebook. And then our chief statistician, Joe Merkel, he takes all of those votes and he compiles them up into two separate tanks, one for the best and one for the worst. We draw out two names at a time when we rank them. That way, at the end of the season, what you are going to have is the definitive certified organic OVP, baptized, ordained, non-GMO, USDA certified organic and healthy. Best and worst celebrities in wrestling. Quinn, there's obviously only two on the board here. Uh, two, it's, yeah. It's week two. So at number one, Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence T. Taylor. Some yes. people actually told me they were surprised that he made the rankings because a lot of people look down upon WrestleMania 11. I don't. But I not, think that, not that performance. We're judging on the merit of the... Well, there, we'll get to the criteria in a second, but Lawrence Taylor's number one. Number two, Quinn... How about it? It's Pete Rose. Ah, uh, this was such a fun one last <laughs> the, the last week we did this. Yeah, uh, I, I Pete Rose is a ridiculous appearance, in, but in the good way. Yeah, yeah, you know. And three years in a row, right? Was Pete Rose? I mean, he was there a while and Hall of Famer. Yep, well, <laughs> he is. In the, in well, the- like I said, they only did that just to like they're like we're better than MLB. <laughs> like their endless feud with MLB. Right. So those are the two on the board now. Quinn, criteria wise, as we go on, it always gets refined. But one of the things is. Did they do, or how well did they do what they were hired to do, right? That's one of the things. Like, last week we talked about Clara Peller and the yeah. flush. She didn't even say the damn line into the mic, right? <laughs> it's really, like, memorable. Did they do what they were supposed to do? That kind of thing. Um, were they entertaining? Were they entertaining? You, you know, that... It, did they take it seriously? You yeah. Know? I feel like the criteria, though, is, like, it's a lot less strict as far as, like, comparatively to, like, best WF champion right. or something like that. It's a lot more open to interpretation. Yeah. And as the names fill up onto the tank here, we're going to figure out just where they fit. But it is going to be fun. Uh, The last two were fun, Lawrence Taylor and Pete Rose. Mm -hmm. But right now, why don't we go down to Howard Finkel for the Royal Rankings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 
from Hollywood. I have the brains. WrestleMania book. You know, I left tickets for Bill Butner, but he couldn't bend over to pick them up. I'm here in this uh, appropriate acoustic environment. Goldstone is my man, he won. What? So when you go to a wrestling match, you go to cheer the good guy and boo the bad guy. I've had a Hulk. Hulkamania lives, you know, the Hulk himself. Now listen! Mongo's ready to wrestle! It is the Royal Red Kings, week number two. I am ready. Mongo's ready to uh, wrestle, Quinn. Uh, you know, Mongo, I love Mongo. Gotta love Mongo, it, man. Every time I hear him, he makes me smile in that intro. Don't even know if he made the damn rankings, but he's in I the don't intro. Know. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't I, matter. There should just be like a Mongo segment every time on this show. <laughs> That's fine with me. Folks, it is the Royal Rankings of Celebrities in Wrestling, week number two. You heard some names in the intro there. We'll see who's next. Like we said, it's Lawrence Taylor at number one. Pete Rose at number two. Two wildly different roles here, right? Mm-hmm. LT was there to wrestle. Pete Serious. Ro- <laughs> yeah. Pete Rose is uh, dressed like a chicken. <laughs> like, that's, that's just all you need to know. Right. Or a decoy for the guy dressed like a chicken. Yeah, one, something chicken related. <laughs> a lot of chicken. Bill Buckner and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of jokes. It was fun. But you never know who could be number three. The only way to find out is if we go down to the fans. You ready, Quinn? Let's go. Count us down, fans. Let's find out who drew number three. The man that loves Coldstone, Quinn. Oh, Coldstone himself. Mike Tyson. Wow. Now this, to this me, was like, first of all, this was like eight years in the making. Well, this, yes. This, <laughs> because of reasons. There are some reasons. I'm sure we'll cover that. Mike Tyson, by the time he actually, like you said, it was eight years in the making, right? By the time he got to the WWF, he was not boxing. Uh-huh. There's a very good reason for that. But the genesis of Mike Tyson in wrestling actually was supposed to be in 1990. Right. Now, this was when Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were fighting again, as they often did. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember wrestling? Well, yeah. They, they're always fighting. <laughs> they're always they fighting. came up in the brother love thing. Yeah, before. exactly. And we were going to have the main event three. This right. is the one that no one really talks about. Well, they would have if <laughs> yeah. the real thing that was supposed to happen happened. True. Yeah, it might be a little more popular. But it did a great rating, actually. The main event three was February of 1990. And in the vein of the previous two, it was going to be this big one-hour Friday night special on NBC. Right. Hulk Hogan, the world champion, one last time it was supposed to be taken on Randy Savage. I mean, February of 90 is late for this, if you yeah, think about it. I know. But, you know, they figured, fuck it, people know Savage, let's put him on primetime. And the referee is going to be the undefeated world champion, like undisputed, undisputed champion. world boxing champion. Iron Mike Tyson. Yes, and this, that alone, I feel like would have been just insane right right in, in in 1990 like he was like at the peak of his like popularity he, he was and the reason for that quinn is he had debuted in 1985 mm-hmm. a kid i mean he was known as kid dynamite briefly and quickly quickly gained recognition because it was a combination of speed and power and just kind of his overall footwork and his finesse he was pr- i mean he was just knocking people out left and right literally I, like which is if you wanted to uh, sell a boxing match to people on pay-per-view in the 80s, right. you got a guy that could knock the shit out of basically anyone, like even the best boxers in the world. Yes. This is your guy. Right. Like this, this is money. If you're in a heavyweight boxing, which was very popular in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, that's what you want to see. You want right. to see the two good heavyweights go at it, right? Right. And Tyson made them all look horrible. 
oh yeah, he just would wreck these people. It, it's actually like, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like this again. I mean, he was just, anybody they put in front of the guy was just boom, 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 knockout. Like, you know, it was beautiful. He became the youngest champion by defeating Trevor Burbick, who was the guy that defeated Muhammad Ali in his last match, although Ali was not. That's not should fair. Should not have been boxing. Ali was, yeah, he was way, doing his miracles. Yeah, you know, it wasn't good. It's all over. We've got a brand new heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson. And that was for the WBC belt, but he was like 20 years old and he knocked yeah. the fuck out of Trevor Burbick. Right. It was no joke. I mean, he was a good boxer. But at boxer. that point, you're like, well, maybe it was just like a fluke, right? Yeah. Because it's just like the first time. And then he wins a WBA title, defeating James Bonecrusher Smith. Then he wins the IBF by defeating Tony Tucker so he's in 87. just knocking everyone out. I've always wondered, and maybe, um, I know we have some boxing fans. But Tony like, Legg is one of them. Like, why was he able to achieve this? Like, what was different about him? Because I don't really know. You mean from um, a fighting point of view? From, to me, I look at him and I compare him to any boxing I've ever seen, either before or after. Right. And I've never seen a guy like, how can he do this? Like, he just it just knocks out everyone. Like, it, it's crazy to me. I'm not qualified to answer right. that. I'm really not. Yeah. But anyone that is out there, please feel free to comment because we do appreciate your insight on boxing. I don't have the knowledge yeah. to, to answer that. Uh, but then he met, and this is really where Tyson became, like, unbelievable megastar. In 88, in Atlantic City, the same venue where WrestleMania 4 was, and this mm-hmm. is a few months later, in June of 88. Great venue. Mike Tyson, who, by the way, again... WBA, WBC, and IBF champion he's at this all the point. <laughs> right. he, he is the world champion. Right. Like, he's he, like undisputed, like he has everything. Except uh, Michael Spinks was undefeated, and he is recognized uh, by Ring Magazine as the lineal yeah, champion Ring. because he had never lost. The, it was like the, some kind of. The Rocky right? Balboa championship. <laughs> so, the, so this <laughs> so is. So what a, I think of it no, as. I know. And the reason I'm saying all this, folks, is because, you know, it, it builds. It builds, right? So Tyson Spinks, right? Michael Spinks undefeated. Mm-hmm. Undefeated, also maybe possibly the guy that could beat Mike yeah, Tyson. We found another undefeated boxing right. man who has a belt and recognized by the ring and the lineal champion and all that. Maybe he's the one. So this is a huge fight in Atlantic City, as they were. Tyson was commanding huge purses and and all right. these things. Right, Gorilla would be happy with the huge oh, purses. Oh, he would be maybe <laughs> gambling on it too. Right, and they get in there, and Tyson knocks him out in like ninety seconds, uh, yeah. round one. That is the first time Michael Spinks has ever been down in a professional fight. And he's down again and in serious trouble. A right hand right on the chin. Six, seven, eight. He's not going to make it. It's all over. Again, I don't know boxing, but I really would like to know why the fuck he, he was able to achieve this. I mean, just all the, the best boxers that win there just knocks all of them out. They don't even like stand a chance. They're like, nobody's compared right. to him. He was just feared. Yeah. He was powerful. He was quick. You couldn't hit him. He had every tool at that time. And by this time, he's, a, he's pretty much a household name. He's got Mike Tyson's punch out. He's got that licensing deal right. with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Fantastic game, by the way. I think it was only natural that Mike Tyson would become such a big name after doing what he did. Because again, we keep, I keep, I can't say this enough. I've, you know, I've watched plenty of boxing in my life. I've never seen anybody just knock out everybody. I don't know like the ins and outs of boxing, but right. as a casual boxing fan, any boxing I've ever seen, I've never seen anybody like Mike Tyson. He like, was a he's phenomenon ridiculous. for our generation, yeah. if nothing else, yeah. you know, again, a kid, 22 when yeah. he beat Spinks, uh-huh. 22, mm-hmm. you know, then we get to 1990. He had a whatever 89. I think he fought a couple of times in 89. We get to January of 90. 
This whole time, he's supposed to be gearing up to fight Evander Holyfield. Right. Holyfield wants a match anyway, right? The Evander Holyfield is like the real deal. Evander Holyfield, blah, blah, blah. He is supposed Who's to damn be... good. He's supposed to be the guy like... If anybody could stop this Mike Tyson right. guy, like Evander Holyfield, Possibly Evander Holyfield maybe right? Lennox Lewis, we're not sure. Right, but he was yeah. a little young at the time. Yeah. But Mike Tyson, in the meantime, takes a title defense against Buster Douglas in Tokyo. Right. Which is very, it's just very weird that it's in Tokyo. Egg Dome. In the Egg Dome, yes. I, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but I always, came, this came off to me as a casual observer, as like a cash grab or something. Like they thought, we'll get a quick buck in Tokyo. We'll sell out the Egg Dome, get the right. gate and get the fuck out of there, right? right? Against yeah. some loser. Yeah, a journeyman, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and it's, excuse me, it was February, not January. I apologize. Don't write any letters. Mm-hmm. And Buster Douglas, though. Came determined, came ready, came fearless. He had lost his mother previously, and this is a pretty famous fight, especially if you're a boxing fan. And Buster Douglas not only outlasts Tyson, knocks him down, knocks him out! Right. Oh, nice uppercut by Buster Douglas! Look at this! He's knocked Mike Tyson down for the first time in his career! Mike Tyson hits the canvas! He's in big trouble! He may not be able to recover! It's up to seven! So now that we've covered why Tyson was a big deal, let's remind you again, the main event was also February of 1990. Buster Douglas defeated Mike Tyson in February of 1990. Mike Tyson was supposed to be the special referee, the world champion, right? Well, he's not the world champion anymore. Right. For Hogan versus Savage. He loses. He's out. WWF scrambles, they get Buster Douglas, Douglas winds up knocking out Savage at the end, blah, 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 right? Right, but so, okay, the Buster Douglas, right? First of all, how the fuck, I, I guess Buster Douglas was so, like, nobody that they he, all they had to do was offer him a little bit of money, and he's probably they, like, I'll be right there. They had to scramble, yeah, Bruce has told the story, Bruce Pritchard, they had to scramble, basically, they had to redo all the syndication promos that had aired with Tyson, mm-hmm. and they were able to get him, they called him, they got a meeting with him, they came to a deal, and they got him, yeah, it was yeah. quick. Yeah. It was like they, it took, it I, was, I have a feeling it wasn't as hard as they thought it might be. I don't think so. I think they said it was pretty easy. It was just a scramble. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, anyway, that would do it for Tyson with the WWF. And then, like Quinn mentioned, he went to prison. He did have a comeback. 95, he defeated Peter McNeely. Now, I think this comeback, actually, though, is important to Mike Tyson yeah. getting to the WWF in 98 because I remember as a kid, while awesome WWF, like edgy WWF was going on in the 90s, yep. side by side, I would turn on the news after Raw. Right. And sometimes I would see Mike Tyson knocked out some guy and I'd be like, Mike Tyson, I thought he was in prison. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Right. Like as a kid, I thought he was never coming back. And, right. and, and, then, and then slowly it was like Mike Tyson knocked out a guy, he's back. Mike Tyson knocked out a guy, and now he's like the WBA champion. Yes. Mike Tyson knocked out, like, and and it, it was like silently yep. happening in like the summer of like ninety six. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and it was like, what the hell's happening? Like, what? Mike Tyson is back, and he's yep. just kicking ass again. And he's only like thirty. Yeah, he's not even old. But he's still like, he's still the crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Hardcore boxing fans, he wasn't as good. He, or, he yeah. wasn't. But he was still he good enough to like easily take these these titles. He right? defeated Frank Bruno. He defeated right. Bruce Seldon. And then finally, November of 1996, Tyson Holyfield. And you know what the, the billing, you know what the tagline is for this fight? Finally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, good. And this is the fight where Tyson's the huge favorite. And Holyfield, who's a little older, he had already lost. He had retired once. Mm-hmm. He's the underdog, Holyfield. Right. And Mike Tyson, like we said, is uh, just... On a tear. Yep. He is absolutely on a tear during this point. And guess what? Holyfield defeats Tyson by TKO in round 11. 
Right. So we get a rematch now, June of 1997. Mm -hmm. And this is the one infamously known as the bite fight. The bite fight, yes. Where Holyfield's probably going to win this shit. I don't even know if Tyson came into this trying to win. Bites him on the ears. Finally, uh, fucking Judge Mills Lane disqualifies Tyson after he spits out a piece of Holyfield's ear. Now, this... On one hand, got Mike Tyson basically banned from boxing, right? Yeah, for a period of time. On one hand, on the other hand, within the media, yep, um, it exponentially made him way more famous than he already was. Famous, he notorious, yeah. Yeah, he became this like bad boy figure, and I want to say like it worked. It would have only worked. And it did work yeah. in the 90s. Right. In the 90s where everyone's got to be edgy and right. extreme and kind of crazy and you can't do that on television. Right. Mike, now all of a sudden, Mike Tyson is a mega figure in this culture. Right. Right? It's like, whoa, he just like, you know what? He said, F the belts. I'm just going to bite this guy. I, he's so dangerous. Right. right? What, you a, know, what like, a lunatic. What a crazy man. Right. And like, nobody, that's a bad guy, man. Right. Like, you can't, you can't, don't want to mess with him, right? And that's why, this is why we set all this stage for you, okay? Yeah. That's why in January of 1998, not, you know, six, seven months after the bite fight, that's it. That's a short period of time. Vince McMahon on the pulse, you know, when they actually got it right sometimes, they got yeah. it right. This was perfect because yes. Vince was in a great spot because he knew, well, Mike Tyson can't box anymore, or at least for the foreseeable future. Yep. You know, I know he eventually was able, they let yeah. it, they let him box again. But the point is, is that they weren't going to let him box because he was just like persona non grata at right. that point within the boxing world, right? Yep. And Vince was very smart to recognize this and said, well, remember when you were going to come on wrestling? Yeah. Well, you can, you know, you can punch people on this and do, yeah. do your Mike Tyson stuff. And, and he was a wrestling fan, too, right. growing up. That's the other thing. Which always Mike helps. Tyson actually liked wrestling. Yes. So yeah, Bruno you, and all that. You like kinda, that that's like a peanut butter jelly. Everything works. Everyone, everyone wants to be involved. Yep. Everyone does sign up yeah, to be involved. Exactly. And, and, and it just works perfectly. No one's embarrassing anyone, you yeah. know? So Tyson meets, makes a lot of appearances between January and March of 98. Obviously, the rumble where he says Cold Stone. Mm -hmm. Then the next next night it is, right, where you ruined it! Yeah. And that whole thing where Austin and Tyson... That shit was all over the news. That, that actually was. Like I said, the, the, yep. this kind of was perfect with my um, remembering late night, seeing the, the Channel 7 local news talk about Tyson winning titles, and then another late night in 1998, them talking about him getting involved in a wrestling match. With Steve Austin, right? right? And I remember seeing the clips. Yep. The baddest man on the planet, ladies and gentlemen, Iron Mike Tyson! So you have Austin doesn't like Tyson, right? But also DX, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, they don't like Tyson. Mm -hmm. So they go back and forth. And then obviously Tyson joins DX and he is with them for the rest of this time, which is amazing to me. He does the promos with them. He does the crotch chop poorly. He is very involved. <laughs> he's surprising. Like, so into it. He looks like he's having the time of his life. And every I've heard time. it said that too, that people backstage like... I feel like Mick Foley's commented on Probably. him and like just other wrestlers who were there at the time saying, oh, he was like, he wanted to be in everything. He like, was like he a would, kid in a candy yeah, store. Yeah, he was like, he, he was, he would come up to people and say, man, I love you. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, I watch you every week on so Raw. respectful. Like, yeah, like, no, but he was like, it was like having a fan get to live out their dream. That's right. basically how I've heard it described. It's like, he literally like watched the show yeah like every week it's a symbiotic relationship because it's yeah. great for him but it's also great for wwf and exposure right. everyone is having a good time here yep 
And we all know the story. He's going to be the special guest referee at WrestleMania 14, but he's in DX, right? Yeah. And they do the public workout. Remember Kissy Head? Kissy Head <laughs> workout, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. <laughs> they do Kissy Head. And then we get, to Wrestle- <laughs> we get to WrestleMania 14, and he is still in DX during this, mm-hmm. but he plays it straight as a referee. Right. And when the real referee, Mike Chioda, gets knocked out and Austin reverses a super kick into a stunner, Tyson slides in. Administers a three count a little too fast for Austin's right. liking, but nonetheless, Austin wins. Yep. And then Shawn Michaels gets all pissy. He's like, "Tell me a lie." E-a-u. Well, because in the in the kayfabe, right, the the whole point of Mike Tyson was they had they had to fix just in case Stone Cold right. got the advantage. Correct. Right. That was the whole fucking point of him. But Tyson's like, "No, man, I'm going to play it straight." You know. Yeah. He knocks out Michaels, and we don't see Michaels again for a long time, which is fine with me. And doesn't he tear off his shirt or something? He uh, no, he throws the. Uh, he throws the Austin shirt on Shawn Michaels or something. Yeah, I can't something remember like what that, it is, yeah. but and that does it for uh, Tyson for the most part. Now he does come back to guest host Raw the week after Bret Hart did in January of 2010. Incidentally, right. but this is well after. This is more Mike Tyson is like a legend to wrestling, even <laughs> right. because like remember when he was on the WrestleMania like yeah. ten years ago or <laughs> exactly. something. Like you know what I mean. Like by that point. It's now kind of like, now he's a, a legend of pro wrestling, wrestling. too. That's just funny. They put him in the Hall of Fame, I think, in 2012 yeah. or something, which makes sense in the celebrity wing. Now, I know that he was also involved with AEW, like, recently. What? But since this is a retro podcast, that doesn't factor into this. AEW has to be over 10 years old for us to even yeah, talk about it. It's not retro, but I know that he did, so that's cool, too. Even if he didn't do that, his WWF tenure here was a huge deal. And I think that he did a very good job being in DX, playing what he was there to play. And he looked like he was just, like we said, having the time of his life. He didn't embarrass wrestling at all. I thought it was great. I I had no problem with this. I I liked it. No problem at all. I think it was great for business, too. So we'll see where Tyson ranks. But, Quinn, right now, why don't we go down to the fans again and find out who drew number four. Justin Gorilla, I'm downstairs here, and guess who I saw just a moment ago? Yep, she's down here, Vanna White. The Uke. Oh, my God. This is a a great one. My personal favorite WrestleMania celebrity, and I've always said that, and it doesn't mean that I'm going to be biased, but I Not my personal favorite. I have have other favorites. I know. He hasn't been drawn yet. Yeah. Hopefully he makes it, but... I hope so. The Uke, man. Bob Uker, a multi-talented individual in all seriousness. Uh Uh, The thing he's worst at was baseball, which is ironic. He's one of the most terrible baseball (laughs) players ever. Ironically, right? Yeah. So Bob Uecker, Mr. Gonna, Baseball, Mr. Baseball, you're no. going to know from in wrestling, WrestleMania is three and four. On television, you're going to know him from Major League, the movie right. series. Just a bit outside, he tried the corner and missed. Or maybe possibly Mr. Belvedere. Yep. You might know him from Miller Lite commercials of the '80s. Also, you might know him if you're a baseball fan as uh, the announcer for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, forever. Yeah, like 50 years now. Like yeah, for, he's, I think he still is. He is. Yeah, maybe not full time, but he's still there. Yeah. Yes. And he's a very funny guy. He's got a great sense of humor. I signed a very modest $3,000 bonus with the Braves in Milwaukee, which I'm sure a lot of you know. And my old man didn't have that kind of money to put out. (laughs) But the Braves took it. Even if, like, you grew up watching the Johnny Carson era of uh, Tonight Show. He's very Johnny Carson-like, in my opinion. So Bob Euchre was a baseball player and a poor one. Mm-hmm. In the in the sixties, 
And just to give you the rundown there, he played from 62 to 67. What was his uh, lifetime batting average, Joe? The Mendoza line, Quinn, 200. Uh, okay. <laughs> the Mendoza line, if you don't know, is like what the line is of being good or not being good. Being like not even, shouldn't not even, even be acceptable in the, in, the in major league. Yeah. Bob Uecker played um, from 62 to 67 for a handful of teams. The Milwaukee Braves, yes, that's how, that's mm-hmm. how old he, he was. St. Louis Cardinals, the Phillies, and then the Atlanta Braves. And then he became a broadcaster. Now, the thing about Euchre is he had a 200 bat and average, which is very bad for those of you in the UK or elsewhere. Very bad. 14 <laughs> career home runs. And 14? Seven, that's 14, it? Yeah. Holy shit. 74 runs better than How the hell does he play on this many teams? I still don't get it. Well, he was not a, um, let me put it this way. He was not an everyday player, and he was not a regular starter. So basically, he's that guy that nowadays you, you, he jumps around to a team and like fills a hole. It's like one of those guys that comes out of nowhere during the like when they expand the roster in the last season or the last month or kind whatever, of. like that kind of person. He was like a second string catcher, you yeah. know, and he was the type of catcher that played 30, 40 games a season. Right. That type of catcher, Just you know? Just to back up the real catcher. Just to back up one. He, I, I don't know too much about him defensively, but I think he was a good defensive catcher. Right. But obviously not an offensive juggernaut. Right. And he readily made fun of that, you know, anytime right. he could talk about baseball. I think that's what made him unique, right? Is that once he was done with baseball, a lot of his, one of the gimmicks of um, his appearances always was, wow, he really sucks at baseball. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, they, he would say it, everyone around him would be told, I guess, be told to say it. When yeah. they, like, that was always the joke with Uyghur is his, they would call him Mr. Baseball. He's like one of the worst baseball players to ever play for like a long period of time Probably in, one of the, in wor- the major leagues. The worst famous baseball player ever, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, Mr. Baseball, obviously the ironic nickname, which is right. very funny. Yeah. And he uh, then, like we said, became a broadcaster. That was his straight, like regular baseball job um, starting in 71 until like now still. Mm-hmm. But not only that, he started making these appearances because again, the personality. So he was on Carson. He was on talk shows. People thought he was funny. There was that, something amusing about this guy, right? He he was very personable. Self-deprecating. Self-deprecating, especially with the, I, I stink at baseball yeah. gimmick, but I'm Mr. Baseball. Exactly. Um, and just, I just think he was like, he fit the 80s a lot. I don't know what it is about him, but he seems like somebody you want to be around, right? Exactly. He seems like a guy yes. at, uh, he seems like a guy at, it could be a, n- a nice fancy party or it could be, you know, backyard barbecue. Yep. But he just seems like he fits in every occasion. And I think the Miller Lite commercials also poked fun at that persona because remember he'd always act like, you know, I have the best seats. And then it would cut to him all the way right. up. Right, and, and those became the Euchre seats. The Euchre seats, the, the, right? The, the, you know, this this concept of, he, <laughs> you know, though he's so kind of junky <laughs> yeah. that the, the Euchre seats are the worst seats in the arena. Right. If, if you've Obstructed ever heard, view. <laughs> yeah, again, for UK folks, that might be a weird reference because oh, yeah. when they would say all the time in the WWF, even like before Euchre was there, they would kind of make a... Oh, the Euchre a, seats. Oh, look, you can see all the fans up there in the Euchre seats. And right. like, you'd be like, why are they calling them the Euchre seats? Because that Bob Euchre, he's dumpy. He's, yeah. like, yeah. he's like the crappy version of getting in the arena. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, up in the nosebleeds, basically, yeah. right? So you had that. So you could see him on commercials in the 80s, right? You could see him as an announcer for the Brewers if you lived in that market. Starting in 1985, you could see him on the family sitcom Mr. Belvedere as the dad, which is right. just like the weirdest casting. I, I, I don't even, like, what? It was on for five years! It was on. Yeah. How do you spell your analysis? I beg your pardon? <laughs> Come on, I'm doing a story on ballplayers and drug testing. So he's a well-known name, and he now is being promoted for WrestleMania three. 
their biggest WrestleMania, obviously, right. to that point and maybe ever. I think this is a good get, even with not knowing how he's going to perform, right? Because right. I think they hit Euchre at a point where he was pretty famous. He was very 19- relevant. He, he was very relevant. People knew who he was in 1987. He was on commercials. He was on TV. Yep. He, you know, he was still doing baseball. Talk like, shows. Yeah, it was just everywhere. It was a, right? a known personality. Right. Just a general known person. People knew who he was, right? Right, yeah. And that's what WrestleMania needs is people that, you know, are known. Yeah. So there's a perfect spot. So he does these promos leading up to it, and they're all good. One of them, he's not wearing a shirt with Jesse Ventura. Like, he, he'll, he'll do whatever. Again, he fits in this world because he fits in whatever the hell you put him in. Yep. It's perfect. Absolutely. So we get to WrestleMania 3. And we're welcomed not only by Gorilla and Jesse, mm-hmm. but by Mary Hart and right. Bob Euchre in the booth, which I love. This is unbelievable, Gorilla. I tell you, I'm back in the World Series again, man. I didn't play in the first one, but I'm a player today. It's excitement. It's great to me that they put them in the booth because it said, you know what it said to me at the beginning of this show? These people are part of the show. They're not just here for like... A one and done, yeah. yeah. High and wave their hands. Right? This is a match. Now, this isn't the first time they did because at WrestleMania two, they 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 put Susan St. James in With the booth. Vince. They put Elvira in the booth yep. and all this shit, right? Yep. yep. But these two, unlike those ones, they came off like they belonged in the booth. And they didn't overexpose them like they did with Susan St. James by having her be there the whole time. Yeah, I know. That's true. Kathy Lee Crosby. I've never even watched wrestling (laughs) or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, like, they joined us at the beginning. Each of them came in for one match at certain points. Euchre, they picked the midget match. It was hilarious. Mary Hart for the Hart Foundation, right? Good point. And calling pile drivers and shit. She's like, calling moves. And then they they met us back up at ringside for their their, their roles, right? It was like... I thought they were so well utilized. Absolutely. Right? I, no, I totally agree. And I think they're fondly remembered right. uh, both together and separately at that event. Bob Euchre seems like a guy in the intro, when he's on a commentary, and when he is doing the main event, who just fit. Yeah. For lack of any fancier, flowery term, he fit wrestling. He feels like he's part of the Gorilla Bobby situation, yeah, right? the broadcast team, basically. Right, yeah. It was so natural. I mean, they obviously had confidence in him. He introduced the main event. Which is a big, the biggest main event they ever had. <laughs> yeah. Right? And Bob Euchre's involved in it. And there is a soundbite of Bob Euchre introducing Andre the Giant that was used in the WWF's like run-up package, you know, right before the show. Yep. Andre the Giant. That's yeah. Bob Euchre. Andre the Giant. It's crazy for years and years and years, too. Yes. They would always, whenever they'd be like, where the legends happen, WrestleMania. But, uh, Andre the Giant. That's you know, Euchre. It's Euchre. Yep. He's forever associated with, with Wrestle- WrestleMania. WrestleMania. And that went so well that they brought him back for WrestleMania 4. Now, obviously, 4 doesn't have the same regard as 3. But I want to say that this, to me, is a credit to how well Bob Euchre did at WrestleMania 3, is that that they would even call him back. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? It's like it almost felt like it can't be WrestleMania without Bob Euchre, right. right? Like when when that happens, and that was, I believe, one of the only times, and definitely the first, where a celebrity was there back to back. Well, other than Pete Rose, but Pete Rose was like yeah. a surprise. Yeah, right? this was the first. This time, was announced, though. and it was like <laughs> it felt like WrestleMania three was kind of continuing on into WrestleMania. He kept the continuity. I feel like I love that. Yeah. I love it, Quinn. Now at four, 
<laughs> he's in the intro with Gorilla and Jess again, mm-hmm. right? And he's all like overconfident and Jesse's pissing him. But let's not forget also at three, Euchre had the long running storyline where he was chasing Mula all around. Right. And I mean, so th- this is important for yeah. WrestleMania four because the funny part is they actually have like continuity. Yeah. And this time he's chasing another woman. Yep. Right. And it's going to be Vanna White. And he keeps saying, you're not going to trick me like last year, you thought, right? You got to go with Mula. You're not going to get a new contact. He actually contacts. is acknowledging <laughs> yes. the storyline from so a year good. ago. It's, it's so really, like as if he hasn't even been gone. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's amazing. And uh, he calls the opening match with Gorilla and Jess. He calls the 20-man battle royal. Mm-hmm. And once again, just fits. Oh, it, he's just, it's, yeah, it's, this is this, like, this is normal. Yeah. And then he's a backstage interviewer this night, which is really great. So if it's there, not... There is so many good moments during this. Right. Yeah. If it's not Gene, it's Euchre doing the interview. So my favorite... Well, they're all good. But one of my favorite ones is the Honky Tonk Man one. Oh, where, yeah. Where he's like... <laughs> where Honky's like, you want to make jokes? I'm going to talk about someone's lifetime batting average yeah, and all and, that, right? Yeah, and they really get into it with each other. It's yeah. <laughs> it's super funny. There's also the random part in it where he just... Like, he's, hot, he's shilling the program. And he's like, I'm here with the uh, WrestleMania... Book, yeah. like, book, which which is always one of our me and Joe's like favorite lines. For like it, tw- it's ridiculous. Years. Like it, he sounds like a dope when he says it, it, but I don't know because it's euchre. It's like so lovable. It's fine. You know, I was just looking at a picture here in the uh, WrestleMania book. Check it out, Jess. Look who's next to Van. I even signed it for her right here. <laughs> Throughout every euchre appearance, they always usually end with something like, or he starts it where it's like. I just saw Vanna or he's like yeah. kind of like faking it. And then like sometimes he's going back and forth between like he hasn't really saw Vanna, but sometimes he's faking yeah. that he saw Vanna. But then other times he's like, man, I'm getting really worried. I can't yeah. find Vanna. Can't find her. Right. It's like it's, it's going back and forth. And there's kind of this manic weird thing going on with Euchre during every segment. He's in building and building and building onto this. He can't find Vanna. Can't find Vanna. Then we have a great his most famous moment, even more than introducing Andre. Right. Is the <laughs> so after Andre and Hogan have their dumpy little match with the chair and they're and, both and DQ'd, both right? Are out, right? Yeah. Bob Euchre's job is to interview Andre. So Andre comes in all jolly. Like, I told you I was going wham. Yeah, and, and he's like practically a fucking dinosaur. He like yeah. lurks into the scene, and he's just got his arm around Euchre for no reason. Yeah, I told you Hulk Hogan, you lose, whatever, right? right. And Don't worry about that. What? It's like, I'm supposed to meet Van. Don't worry about Vanna White. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that, my... that's one of my favorite lines from Andre. <laughs> well, there you, there you have it. I still haven't found Yes, the ex-champion. Don't worry about Vanna White. So then, you know, he, <laughs> Andre's like, Alchemania's over! <laughs> <laughs> He's, this is like peak Andre being ridiculous. Like cartoon. Yeah. Like Zangy for something, yeah. right? He's, he's absurd. And then <laughs> but Bob Huker's like, hey, Andre, uh, how about getting your foot off my shoulder, right? And then Andre just chokes him out. Yeah. And Buker's face during this is... It's priceless. He it does is. this like overly exaggerated getting his neck choked out face. Yep. And he's just like, <laughs> Alchemina is over. <laughs> hey, hey, how about getting your how about getting your foot off my shoulder? And then Andre, like when he walks away, he like he like saunters away. We always call it dinosauring away because he he looks like he's like a T Rex or something, and he just saunters off the scene. And you can see and him can, laugh. Yeah, right? you can clearly see him laughing. He's it's like just, ah, ah. the whole that whole part is like one of the most memorable WrestleMania things. Period. It is. It's it's literally one of my favorite moments ever yeah. at a WrestleMania. But then it gets better. Yep. So 
Bob Euchre comes out to be the guest ring announcer again for the main event mm-hmm. to take me out to the ball game in a right. nice touch. Vanna White then comes out. To her rare theme. What is that music? Okay, this is, if there's any theme, I know I always um, kind of rib on rare themes. This one theme, I would really like to have personally clean. I cannot find it anywhere. It's Vanna White's theme from WrestleMania 4. Imagine two lovely ladies, Vanna White and Elizabeth, both of us at the same time. I know, Gorilla, and she's beating me at midnight. She is. Yeah, don't tell you her that. I'll break his heart. Okay, I won't. Well, maybe we'll see another exclusive uh, in the Examiner very shortly. Big smile. The only thing I know about the music is it's dubbed on everything, so it must not be something WWF produced or owns. Yeah, I can't find it anywhere. It's only on like the original broadcast or something. Or it's also on the like WrestleMania the collection because nothing's edited (laughs) on that. That's where I first heard it. That's true. I think it's it made it to Coliseum also. So anyway, she comes out. She gives him a little kiss on the cheek. Right. And Euchre's face gets all red. He gets all red. He starts wobbling. And yeah. then he introduces the main event. Now, a little nice note here. He he stumbles over his words in the introduction yep. to sell the Vanna kiss. It's true. It's crazy how well detailed it all is. It is. It's just... Man, Bob Euchre just fit wrestling, didn't yep. he? Yep. And that's basically it. He kind of just... He, he finishes and he barely gets through it. And, and that's, uh, that. that's that. And then he was put into their Hall of Fame as well in 2010, which, again, I think he should be. If they're going to have a celebrity wing, yeah, put him in it. So, ranking time is not going to be easy, Quinn, yeah. honestly, for this me. It's going to be hard. So, LT is number one. Pete Rose is number two. I got to come right out and say, Quinn, that I think Mike Tyson was more important than Pete Rose. I agree. And I think more... Look, I know that he didn't wrestle, but it's not just about what they did. I this think, is one of those situations where... um. I think it's just Mike Tyson just goes to the top here, right? He just does, right? The discussion because, is really going to revolve around where does Euchre land, right. right? I would agree, but I want to make it formal here. So the reason Tyson's going above Lawrence Taylor and going to number one is, yes, Lawrence Taylor wrestled, which is harder than what Mike Tyson did. Right. Let's be fair. Fair enough. It is. But Mike Tyson was... <sighs> he just yeah, brought more to the table. He just brought more mainstream attention maybe not by much but more mainstream attention i think he fit better and he was more involved there was also the fact that he was supposed to appear once he was kind of like a unicorn for the wwf like something they couldn't get and once they finally got it was like so special because he just fits wrestling he fits it more than lt and and this is he's weirdly a wrestling character in boxing because he's you know what i'm saying he's a heel by this point yeah he bit the guy's ear right and, I mean, kinda, and he fit the '90s too. He fit the oh, yeah. he fit the era he was in. He was re- he was extremely relevant still. Right in 1998, he was in DX. Mm-hmm. He feuded with Steve Austin. Right. So yeah, I know that he didn't um, wrestle, but it can't just be the role only. What he was there to do, I think he did really well. He was there to get some controversy. He was there to get some name value. He was there to get them some recognition. He did more appearances than Lawrence Taylor did. Mm-hmm. They both had the, the kissy head arena. They, yeah, both, they both did, did the kissy. <laughs> so, overall, I'd say that Tyson was just a huge deal for It was an upgrade them. over Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, and I again, I know that he didn't wrestle. Um, okay, so Tyson's number one mm-hmm. right now. Bob Euchre. He's very God, different he's from Mike so, Tyson. Oh, yeah, it's a whole different... Well, he's better than Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. Why? Better. 
I, I need why. If there's any comparison between people on this list, I think Pete Rose and, and Euchre are the best. And it's not just because of baseball, but because it's their personalities of like, he's kind of, even though Pete Rose was a corrupt figure, he was also, by the time he came to WWF, he was kind of like this joke. Yeah, it was like, a punchline. Like in a, more of like a Euchre style, right? Okay, yeah. But Euchre was way more successful post-baseball than Pete Rose. Well, of course, yes. He, he, like we said, he was on TV. He was all over the media. People, every, everyone knew who, who he was. While Pete Rose was known among sports fans, I think he was really a pariah outside of sports. It was like nobody wanted to have anything to do with this guy. Meanwhile, Euchre, shitty baseball player, but he was embraced by the mainstream media as this lovable. just great, lovable person. Yeah. No matter what he did, everyone loved him. I like Pete Rose's stuff a real lot in wrestling i really mm -hmm. do i like his three years in a row i think it's very funny the right. cameo appearances and stuff like that and they kept up the continuity like we said later with kane you know yeah there was always continuity that said though euchre had continuity euchre had continuity euchre to me is more memorable and did more in terms of what his roles he were. had more moments yeah he had more moments and it, what he did was more important than what pete rose did right yeah so he goes above pete rose Euchre versus Lawrence Taylor, your thoughts? Again, I think Euchre contributed more to WrestleMania than Lawrence Taylor. Um, I hate to say it, but... <laughs> even though Lawrence Taylor was the main event, he was the main event when they had, like, nothing. Yeah, and no one asked for that. Yeah, and it's not... Bam Bam Bigelow. It's not like he's fighting Diesel I, I or some shit, or, like, whoever the heck the world champion is. This is the thing, folks. We have to be fair on both sides, right? So, on one end, it's like, did Lawrence... Ta was he a notable name? Yes. Did he do a hell of a job in the ring against Bam Bam Bigelow? Yes. On the other hand, to be fair, it's 1995. It didn't matter, ultimately. That's the yeah. problem. It's not an enduring main event. The other you know thing what I with mean? Lawrence Taylor that I want to say, and I, I feel like this should be stressed a little bit more. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like to you or I, Lawrence Taylor is a big deal because we grew up in the New York metropolitan area. Right. However, I really do wonder at the time, people outside of that bubble who didn't watch Giants games every week on their television, do they know much about Lawrence Taylor other than he's a prominent, like one of the higher stat guys in yeah, the league? Is I he, think so. Did he attain, for example, and again, this is for people watching football and who were a little older than us. Right. Was he comparable to like Brett Favre or mm, Peyton Manning? In different a position, in though. A, a different position, but in a sense that throughout the league he was known. When people watch football... When the recaps would come on, it'd be like, and what's Lawrence Taylor yeah, up to, right? Was so. it that level? I mean, for again, we can't answer this because we were in the New York market, so it's there's a to us, inherent he, bias. To, to us, he was a he was like a legendary yeah. figure. But I mean, as being a casual football fan, not someone that followed it religiously, mm -hmm. I know who Deion Sanders is, and he wasn't on the Giants. Exactly. You know? That's but that's what I'm, I'm saying. Yankees, was, <laughs> was Lawrence Taylor to people at the time? a figure like that. I mean, who Emmett Smith is and Troy yeah, Aikman. Exactly. And they, you know, there, so. There's people, of course, in Dan the NFL, Marino. you know, Tom Brady. We're not from New England, but we know who the fuck Tom Brady Dude, is. We beat him twice. Yeah. Oh! Euchre, though, versus Lawrence Taylor. Like, Lawrence Taylor is fucking WrestleMania 11. Bob Euchre was there for three, damn it. Yeah, he was there for three and four. And four. Some mean, of their hottest periods. It, what he business was, was very four, famous. Yeah. He was on fucking, he had his own TV sitcom yeah. and like Miller Lite and all this shit. He was on everything. And he's enduring. He's memorable. Yeah. I don't really want to go back and watch Lawrence Taylor wrestle. That says all you need to know. Yeah. Is that I don't go and watch the Lawrence Taylor match back, but I love watching the Euchre appearances. 
Right. So we agree LT did a great job. Yeah. Definitely Euchre's better. But Euchre is just in terms of overall prominence, endurance, mm. lovability. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the Mike Tyson versus Euchre oh, thing. Here's, here's the thing. This is hard. I think this is one of those things. Yeah. Where it really just comes down to what kind of fan are you? Are you into the more serious celebrity or are you into the more goofy celebrity? Because that's really all it comes down to. For the style of WrestleMania celebrity that they are, they're probably top tier in the, the, respective, the respective WrestleMania celebrity style, right? Yes, of, correct. Of serious versus goofy. Agreed. I think the problem here is there's one outlying criteria that we might have to use the effectiveness and i mean it's probably measurable and if not you can probably go on instinct that tyson brought more eyes to the product than bob euchre did but again that but wasn't he, euchre's cont- purpose but if you look back i think he contributed technically less not that he didn't he contributed True. a lot but he technically contributed less to the show oh, right man, it's, it's like tough it's it's like it's one of those tough. it could go either way right no matter what decision we make here I think this is like 50-50, right? It's like some people are going to hate it, some people are not. Personally, I'm just going to lay it all out on the table. I like Bob Euchre a little bit better. I like him better, but I don't think it's... I mean, just as a wrestling celebrity in general, my gut says Bob Euchre. (sighs) Okay. Well, I mean, we have several criteria. Right. We're not just talking about what got the most eyes on the product. Obviously, Tyson, I think, would win that one. Right. We're not just talking about the role... And how hard it is, because LT would win that. He wrestled. None of these guys wrestled, right? Mm-hmm. We are talking some of that. We are talking memorability. We are talking how they fit in. Right. Their name value. Tyson, though. I mean, Tyson was the biggest name right. on this list, probably. But Bob Euchre in I his know, time. He's number two. Just, he just did so much more. He just did so much more than Mike Tyson. Bob Euchre Mike was t- the ring announcer. Let me put it to you this way. There's an element of Mike Tyson, even when I was a kid watching it, as if he was being guided by whether it be the wrestlers or handlers or being directed in some manner. I never felt that way with Bob Euchre. I felt Bob Euchre was put out there and that he was absolutely genuine and everything that he was saying was coming out of his head and not just like being told to be done. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's that factor that you don't get a lot with celebrities where they feel like it was like, just be Bob Euchre, right? And whereas Mike Tyson was like, do this, you got to turn on that guy. Yeah, like, I'm not saying I mean, that Mike Tyson wasn't, purposes, I'm not Quinn. saying that Mike Tyson wasn't doing his own thing like Cold Stone and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, like, well, that's not but good. at the same time, it's like Bob Euchre felt like way more capable at holding his own amongst these personalities than Mike Tyson was. Well, yeah, but they're there for different purposes, right. to be fair. Tyson's there to be a guest ref and to stir up some controversy. But Euchre, they gave a live mic to on commentary and as a ring announcer, and they let him do backstage promos. And but it didn't feel like they were telling him what to say. No. You know, The thing about Euchre is he never once felt out of place. Not at he all. He never felt out of place. Tyson, but Tyson didn't either. Look, I like Euchre more. I'm just having a hard time putting him above Tyson. Can you really give me a case why? I could go either way. I just don't know. I mean, Tyson was more important, I feel like. Because to me, Euchre had more... A, consistency. He was in two WrestleManias, not one. True. Um, he seemed to understand what he was doing a lot better than Mike Tyson, and it showed in the end product. Not to say that Mike Tyson's appearance wasn't great. It's just that Euchre's felt more full-featured. Does that make any sense? You know what I mean? Like, it felt yeah. like we got every ounce of Bob Euchre-ness out of Bob Euchre. We, 
everything that Bob Uecker offered as a celebrity was paid off on. Whereas Mike Tyson, because again, it felt like he was being guided a little bit, even though he got his little punch and, and count and all this stuff, it's like, it still felt like directed or something. Like, I almost feel like even Mike Tyson himself, as a fan of the product, would be like, Bob Uecker was better than me. I don't know, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think Bob Uecker as an overall entertainer is, <laughs> is like way better than Mike Tyson. Uh, you know what? I That's the thing. And entertainment's the name of the game with a celebrity appearance. True. Bob Uecker offered a, like you said before, like a Johnny Carson style package to the World Federation. A complete package. Also, the thing yeah. about Tyson is he all he needed to do was show up. It was his name value that they were interested in. Uecker was a performer more than Mike yeah. Tyson was. He was more like other people like that showed up later, like WrestleMania six, uh Steve Allen. Steve Allen, yeah. Yeah. Would you say though that if we were going strictly on name value, it's gotta go to Tyson? Name value, yes. And but who Bob sold Uecker, the most tickets? But Bob Euchre, I think he gave more to them. And overall performance is Bob Euchre, a fit the way he fit in right. the natural all right. There's a lot more that Bob Euchre offered and outside g- of the tangible tickets. Not only sales offered, or but gave to them. He gave, gave us, it at all. He gave all. us the, an intro to Andre and Hogan, and he gave us that you know iconic shot of Andre choking him. A lot of memorable moments. <laughs> Humor. Yeah. Endurability. Just long... Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll it's, do it. It's, it's close. But I'm going to say this just so people don't get this wrong. Tyson is probably still more important. Probably. Strictly because of WrestleMania 14. Right. But it's not just importance, you know. It, it's combination of factors overall. Yes, I like Euchre better. I'm more entertained by Euchre, and I think that he is one of the ultimate WrestleMania celebrities. Yeah, folks, you are free to let us know what you think. But we're gonna lock this in, Quinn. Euchre yeah. at number one. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone. Again, let us know what you think, but let us know why, because we we really care about ranking these properly. Obviously, this is scientific. At number one is Bob Euchre. Number two, and a very close number this two. This is so close, yeah. Mike Tyson. Again, let us know why. Uh, don't just say we're wrong and we're assholes. One of those close ones where I feel like later on I'm going to regret it. We might regret it. Yeah. I don't know, but this is what we've done. Number three, LT, and number four, Pete Rose. Folks, those are the four on the board. Again, let us know why on Twitter, at OVP Podcast. Shoot us an email or join the group. But Quinn, when we come back, we're still on that Lex Express, and guess what? We're gonna take a, we're gonna take a look at the SummerSlam Spectacular. That's right, as we get close to SummerSlam '93, it's a SummerSlam Spectacular, and that is coming up right after this. You know, one of the best things about being an ex-big leaguer is getting freebies to the game. Call the front office, bingo. And once these fans recognize me, I probably won't even have to pay for my light beer from Miller. Down it, rock! I love them. These fans know I drink light because it's less filling and it tastes great. Good seats, huh? You're in the wrong shape, buddy. Come on. Oh, I must be in the front come on, row. Come on, come on. Light beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. Good seats, hey, buddy. He missed the tag. He missed the tag. Hello, wrestling fans. It's time to shout out our friends of the show now. These are other independent podcasters that do their best each and every week to put out a unique program focusing on old wrestling, kind of like OVP. Let's start with the best of Southern Fried Wrestling. We're talking filthy. We're talking unprofessional wrestling podcast. We're talking about booking the territory where you will get your fix of the NWA each week. And then for a whimsical journey led by one man, Pete Winson, Check out Greetings from Allentown. It might be WWF. It might be WCW. It could be Mid-South. So check out our friends of the show. We're talking about Booking the Territory and Greetings from Allentown. 
and welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, episode 233, SummerSlam Spectacular. We're reviewing this here. Now, I just want to remind you guys, if you have a specific episode of something you want us to review, go to our Facebook group and leave it there. There's an announcement post. You just put a link if it's on the internet, and if it's not, just type in what it is, and we're trying to get through your reviews all season long, next season, in perpetuity. We're accepting your review request, but this one was actually an OVP idea. And the reason is, you know, we obviously are gearing up to do SummerSlam 93. We wanted to give everyone a taste of the SummerSlam build-up here. There you go. And familiarize ourselves with what's going on. But I do want to say one thing about the SummerSlam Spectacular, Quinn. This is the one-hour version. So, explain this to me, Joe. Because (laughs) when you were talking about this to me over on our private messages... Very exclusive. You said there was some kind of two-hour version, and I said... What? It's like, why did the hell did that happen? Well, what the WWF had done for uh, SummerSlam for a few years, for Survivor Series, and there was also the March to WrestleManias, they would do a pre-show, like a two-hour show on USA, usually in the old primetime slot, and then after primetime, they would just get some time. It was a hype show, right? right? It was a hype show to sell the pay-per-view. They had had a SummerSlam Spectacular in 92, and I think in 91, and I think it was called the SummerSlam Fever in 90 or something like that. I, I just like that by 1995, they figured out that we only need a half an hour of a hype show, and it's called <laughs> fucking Todd in the chin room <laughs> yelling Aww. about order the pay-per-view with, with a scrolling number on the bottom. Pretty shitty, actually. Yeah. So there was a two-hour version of this that aired the day before on USA on August 22nd, 93, but in the Monday Night Raw time slot, they decided, you know what, fuck it, let's just go full bore, let's do a condensed SummerSlam Spectacular, let's really drive home this friggin' pay-per-view. We really want to sell this. It's one week away. <sighs> Fuck it. Let's do it, right? Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And because we do one-hour shows here on this uh, canon, the main OVP this, canon. This fits. This fits us perfectly. So just to give you an idea here, this was taped mm-hmm. on August 16th. So this isn't that old, actually. The rare. It's not too old. It's only yeah. one week old, these matches, okay? There you go. Not too bad. And it was taped during Monday Night Raw. Well, that could be told. You can see that. <laughs> yeah, with the Raw banners hanging. It was taped after Raw. I could just, like, have something to denote that this is SummerSlam Spectacular. Yeah, have some or guy come out and change the banner real yeah, quick. Yeah, And this is uh, in Poughkeepsie, our favorite, obviously. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Andrew Rogers. I don't know why, but I feel like that's appropriate. Okay. <laughs> Andrew Rogers. Anyway, this is a hype show. So there's going to be a lot of shilling for SummerSlam oh, 93. there's a lot of shilling, all right. Kurt shilling. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of that. So without any further ado, let's find out what's going on here. One week before SummerSlam, one week before the Lex Express stops at the Palace at Auburn Hills, it is the SummerSlam Spectacular one-hour version. August 23rd, 1993. Oh, geez, not more 1993. Now, if you're new around here, Quinn doesn't like 93, but I have a feeling as this year goes on, he's going to see how much he actually doesn't mind it. The thing is, it's like I feel personally because that's where we are in the pay-per-view canon. Yeah. I'm 1993'd out by this point. Well, you got the the mediocrity is really starting to attack me. It'll get better. Don't worry. I'm having bad dreams about it. <laughs> Waking up in the Lex Express. It's 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 not good. Waking up and Adam Bomb is there. Yeah. Anyway, we got a cold open here with Mean Gene in the ring bringing out the Undertaker. Mean Gene's still here, <laughs> by the way. August. I, what? And it's late for him. Yep. We then clip to Yokozuna versus Duggan real quick, and then we just clip to a quick intro. With the SummerSlam theme before we cut to Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan in a studio. In the room where Hulk possibly is quitting or whatever that was from like WrestleMania 8. I don't know if it'll be my last match. I'm not sure. 
This is not Monday Night Raw. What this is, is the one-hour SummerSlam Spectacular. Vince has a tux on. Bobby has his shitty green windbreaker twin. It's, it's <sighs> yeah, happening. The downfall is here. That's it. Poster Yokozuna is on one side of the studio and <laughs> Lex Luger with an Uncle Sam hat on the other side. Why Luger looking stupid? They're all serious about him this whole show and Vince's got this stupid Uncle Sam hat picture behind him the whole time. It's not good. Then they don't act like this is weird. No. Like he looks like a complete idiot behind them. It's not necessary, this yeah. hat. Uh, Vince clarifies this is not Monday Night Raw. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> It's the one-hour SummerSlam Spectacular, and they run down some of tonight's action, no spoilers. Plus, the final episode of Who is Lex Luger? I thought he was the narcissist. He like might not five be. Five minutes ago, Joe. Quinn, he might not be. At we King have... of the Ring, he was a narcissist. But he might not be. We have to find out. <sighs> and I'll go down the ringside where a steel cage is being set up here. Men in jeans still setting it up, by the way. They didn't even, like... Couldn't they just clip to them after they're done? <laughs> <laughs> so Howard Finkel introduces the challengers for this WWF tag team title match in a cage, which is actually kind of rare. It's the best tag team ever, of course, Money Inc. DiBiase has his white suit. Annoyingly. You don't like it's, it. I, I, is he just, he's always more minor when he's in the white. It is true. No, I agree yeah. with you. JR and Gorilla are going to be on commentary here. Now that's odd. Yeah, the that's challenge weird, team. Yeah, weird combination there. Entering the cage. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Ten balls are submissions. We go to break, we get a quick Tuesday Night Fights bumper here, and we're back. And the college music hits, and the WWF Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, storm out from class. Couldn't they have won these, you know, on pay-per-view? Like, what? Like I'm so confused, because two minutes ago on the pay-per-view canon that we were watching, yes. Money, Inc. was the champions, and now they're not. What? There, there's this weird trend in 92 and 93 and 94 where people just win tag titles on house shows. Yeah, I don't get it. It happens a lot. Do they just not care about the tag titles anymore? No, they're trying to sell the house shows. Like, oh, anything could happen. You better go to those house shows. I'm serious. <laughs> that, that that practice can't continue because it it is really disorienting, especially if you're a pay-per-viewer, like as Gorilla always says. Like, yeah. what if you only watch pay-per-views? For real, there's probably people that just got them every, what? you know, six months or whenever they came out. How the fuck would you just order the pay-per-views and not watch the regular TV? You need to know what's going on. Well, I knew people when I was growing up that they would just order pay-per-views. Order them or did they have a black box? They had a black box. Well, that's and, not ordering pay-per-views. And they were probably, what my point is, is they were probably like suburban dads who didn't have time to watch the show every week. But maybe they like wrestling from the 80s, right? I, I don't they, think this happened. It's a Sunday night no, or whatever. Happen. And they just, they flip up, hey, this is on. But they and didn't then, order it. You know, they didn't, no, they definitely they didn't order it. They have a black box. They have a black box. And they're only watching the pay-per-views. And maybe they saw the last pay-per-view and they're like, who the, why are these fucking people the tag team champions? But if these people are only watching on a black box, then WWF's not getting their money. So they don't care what these people think. I, I see. Anyway, we got a steel cage tag title match here. And the rules are basically all four men are in the ring same time. No pins, no tags, no DQs. Mm -hmm. And both guys have to leave the cage. You know, once, once both guys are out... They win. Right, as I can see the ceiling to, to <laughs> emphasize how minor this is. And I never liked this rule, Quinn, because doesn't it make it two-on-one by default? Because okay, you have to Joe, escape. Th this, I can't wait. I actually have not looked at your reaction to this match, but this is Taylor. The, the way this plays out is Taylor made to annoy the shit out of you yes, because it is. It, this is, I, I really am curious Thank how you, you. react. <laughs> I thought I was being too harsh when I was reviewing no. this, but this is the all I, I think I even put a note. I cannot wait to see how, what Joe thinks of this. 
Yeah, don't worry. You'll get to see. Yeah. Uh, the Steiners attack DiBiase and IRS immediately tries to get out of there. They catch IRS. Gorilla, by the way, very high pitch. Oh, they got him! Oh, yep. they got him! Only way to win this, both team members have to go over the top of the cage and reach the arena floor. Yeah. Proud Ica Pro banner, by the way, is hung here as uh, DiBiase now tries to escape. It gets pulled down. JR admits, like, oh, this is going to be hard to call because, you know, all four guys are in at once. Lots of punching and shit. This feels very Coliseum video, by it the way. Does. Yeah, doesn't it? It feels like Stan Lane should be overdubbed. Like, oh, Gorilla, we have a match here. The Money Incorporated. Or you know. little Billy from Wisconsin wrote in and he <laughs> wanted to see a cage match for the tag titles <laughs> right. where both had to escape. Like, they just made up that some kid thought this up. That's true. <laughs> the Steiners do dominate for a bit and Rick goes to escape and IRS catches him now. Scott does the same but gets pulled down by DiBiase. Nice back suplex from the top rope by DiBiase as Money Inc. is in control now. They both try for the escape. Rick gets uh, Teddy. Scott gets IRS. We still the <laughs> we see the uh, million-dollar ass for a minute there. Mm-hmm. Steiner just blatantly pulls down DiBiase's trunks. Meanwhile, Scott grabs IRS by the tongue. Right. Crowd, I got to say, Quinn here in Poughkeepsie, they're enthusiastic at least. Lots and lots of lamps and air ducts can be seen dangerously close to the wrestlers. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> the ceiling to shot. To me, that is so... Bush. It's just so bush and like, look, we can't afford to be in a real arena. Like, well, the Mid Hudson is a, is one of their regulars, but it just doesn't look good on TV. I, feel I like guess someone's gonna hit their head on the <laughs> on the ceiling. So you're really worried about the clearance, obviously. Clearance, that's all. Okay, but the clearance is also a mark of like we can't really be in a good arena. In '93, it's getting yeah. a little dicey. Yeah. It's getting a little dicey. Yeah. Anyway, IRS is able to crotch uh, Scotty here on the ropes as we go to break. Get a Wendy's commercial, but it's unfortunately cut out. Don't worry. Later, Joe. Later. You're right. Okay, hi, we're back now where Scott has escaped the cage during the break. What an idiot. I agree with you. Because... (laughs) This is the whole thing with this match. Because now Money, Inc. can just kick Rick's ass. And then both of them can just leave. And then they can leave. So this confuses me. Scott climbs back in, which I guess is just allowed because yeah. Bill Alfonso, who's the outside ref, he doesn't seem to mind. But even Gorilla points out the logic. I'd be like, I don't understand what's going on here. Scott Steiner's out. Now he has to go back in. But I guess it makes sense sort of because nothing is over until right. both wrestlers are out. It's right? not like a, Yeah, it's not like a battle royal where if you're eliminated, you can't go back in. The only right? time you can't go in is once both guys are out. Yeah, because the, the match is over. match is over, right? So, but why would Scott leave if Rick is in trouble? All I know is this feels like rules like a, like a 10-year-old thought of. Yeah, you know what I mean? Does, like this, this looks like a rule you thought of with your action figures. It just wasn't thought through, right? Right, yeah. Because now, okay, Scott's back in, right? So all yeah. four guys are back in, but now IRS is able to escape and he's a foo <laughs> but dibiase tries to get out now scott crotches him on the cage and then irs valiantly tries remember irs is on the outside here he tries to pull dibiase out but rick climbs up pulls teddy back in by the hair this whole thing is just dopey quinn yeah this is just a mess everyone tying each other up i hate that the wrestlers seem dumb here yes just wait for your partner <laughs> like just go out at the same time right, what is so difficult kick their asses and leave through the door there's also a door yeah that they just don't use by the way <laughs> yeah, that like, is never even they don't even touch that it takes like two seconds to go through the door <laughs> this is horrible this is very 1993 the concept is bad yeah, yeah. Uh, so now irs who's still on the outside he's watching dibiase get double teamed why is scott allowed back in by the way i guess i'm it, there's no dq so like yeah you want to leave you can but you can go back i don't know anyway rick and scott both go to escape now as dibiase's <laughs> caught in the cage irs goes back in again just in time to grab rick by the leg dibiase's back up he pulls scott down rick is able to escape 
Now, shouldn't they just win because Scott escaped earlier and now Rick escaped? Yes, this is what I mean what about is it? What resets it? That's what I want to know. I guess know. going that, back in resets it, it, right? But, but again, like I said, what if Rick were to be out, Scott went out before him, but he was climbing in because Rick, but then in the meantime, if both Money Inc. went out, but Rick is now climbing on the outside, like mm. is... Did the Steiners win because Rick went out previously, but he... I, I just don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Money Inc. now double teams Scott with Rick outside. Why doesn't he just go back in? Rick? Yes, I yeah. know. You yeah. know, in fact, why doesn't he come up with a fucking mallet and just bludgeon Money Inc. since there's no rules? <laughs> this is so confusing! What's Donnie's old say? Well, I'll just come up with a gun. Right, yeah. <laughs> Donnie. Has that ever happened? Has that like ever I, happened in wrestling where like you know not a real gun obviously but in kayfabe they just shot gun. them like you know what I mean? I mean maybe someone let us know yeah uh, we get a double whip a duck under by Scott double Steiner line because Jr is on commentary here. Now Rick, like an idiot, just encourages Scott from the outside instead of climbing back in yeah. like everyone else. So has. this was weird because I was like this. I guess Rick just has confidence that Scott can just pull the rest off by himself why wouldn't he just come in sit on ted dibiase let scott escape and then run away real quick and leave like yeah. i don't understand <laughs> this isn't hard anyway all three guys down scott's up first he climbs up the cage money anchor back up right after him though so rick hops on the apron near the door dude open the door go in <laughs> anyway irs goes to the opposite side climbs out of the cage while dibiase is in with scott but rick notices and puts irs on his shoulders also irs's tie is gone the rare <laughs> yeah, i've never, I've never seen, seen that fucking happen before did he just take it off or? well they were pulling at it maybe yeah. it just actually broke and wow. it was just like they, they he couldn't replace it that's great yeah so now dibiase has escaped he runs over to rick hammers away on him this allows scott to climb we come down and escape and the steiners win Huge pop for this. And I have a feeling, because the, the commercials clip some shit out, mm -hmm. I have a feeling this was shown like more completely on the two-hour version, because I've heard good things said about it. The only good thing I have to say about this is the ending was hot, so it wasn't that bad, honestly. Yeah, it's a Summer Sam spectacular. I didn't expect anything, but this is honestly fine, other than the wrestlers looking like complete idiots yeah. and the rules not making any sense. <laughs> yeah, we're really playing that aspect of but it, it up, but folks. But that, that was the thing. But it's bizarre. It was fine, right? It was. But this, it was like super distracting. The whole time I'm thinking about the rules, right? Yeah. I can't say that this was like the greatest match ever. No. But it was, it was really, hot. yeah, it was really confusing. It was confusing. And again, maybe the full version's even better. It was, this was clipped, I think, but it was hot. The crowd was mm -hmm. hot and it wasn't bad. And uh, Steiners retained the tag titles. As right. we now go back to Vince and Bobby in the studio where Vince wonders. If this is Money, Inc.'s final shot, since they both have singles matches at SummerSlam. And what is this? Well, this is. this is That was their last match ever as a team. Why did that happen? Like, did they ever explain that? Well, DiBiase was leaving. Okay. He was he was leaving. So right. they got IRS. You know, lucky us, we got IRS as a singles oh, wrestler for two years. Oh, we get to keep years. IRS? Great. Yeah. <laughs> but then Vince unnecessarily yells at Bobby, and he's also sounding very hoarse this show. Nay. Yeah, right. Speechless, aren't you? Well, they you are know, too. Well, you know what happened in a, in a Anyway, they now discuss the whole Heavenly Bodies Steiner Brothers match coming up at SummerSlam, and Bobby picks the <laughs> Heavenly Bodies to win the tag titles. And then Vince has like theories that Jim Cornette is in cahoots and is having the Heavenly Bodies soften up the Steiners 
More Money Inc. with zero faith in the Heavenly Bodies winning. He basically says that it's like almost like they don't have a fucking chance. They're just there to soften them up for Money, money Inc. Inc. again. Yeah. And then Bobby like starts agreeing with it. Let's throw to Jim Cornette now and the Bodies for a promo in front of like this cheap, shitty like cellophane <laughs> yeah, or something. Bad. I don't know. It's bad. Crinkly. Yeah. Uh, so we got Jimmy Del Rey and Pritchard, and they're very proud. As Cornette talks shit about Detroit cars, he calls the bodies foreign imports. Big, inefficient, clunky, American-made cars. Well, the heavenly bodies are those streamlined, aerodynamic, fuel-efficient foreign imports, brother. And any woman will tell you that they get a lot of mileage to the gallon. This is good. This team is good. I don't care. It's really nice to see Dr. Tom made it to WWF, but this goof with him stinks. I like Del Rey, man. Yeah, but I'm saying... Here's He's the thing. Not bad. I like him. I like the character of like this idiot or whatever that thinks he looks good. He thinks he's hot. I like that. But at the end of the day, he looks like he's not even close to the caliber of anybody in the WWF. At least Dr. Tom does. Dr. Tom looks good. Yeah. Dr. Tom is so good. I wish that they had been able to do more they just with him. Let him be Dr. Tom well, from Continental and not this, whatever this is. He's much more like um understated here. He doesn't yeah. say much. He doesn't do much. He still wrestles well, but... And this is right before his hair got, like, shitty or whatever. <laughs> well, after he did the zip hair, it never was the same again. It came back all, like, curly or something. Like, wet all the time wet, or something? Wet, curly, and then he just never didn't wear glasses ever again, he either. sweatpants. Yeah, and I, I remember that it's like he's training The Rock or something, like, in a fucking warehouse. He's training Kurgan, whatever yeah, the yeah. fuck. Yeah, so he's like, Dr. Tom is training people. <laughs> I like him. Yeah. Um, now, Cornette says that, they, you know what, they can't out-wrestle the Steiners, but they're going to out-fight them. And then Del Rey has some quick words as we go to break. Dr. Tom didn't get to talk. Why? He is like, he's the better talker of everyone here. Well, not Cornette. I don't know. He's kind of good. You hate Cornette, though, so. It's not that I hate Cornette. It's that I think Dr. Tom is just a very talented talker. He is. No, I think like, he's a great. To but be quite honest just, with you. Isn't he just Roddy Piper? Not always. Yeah, but I... Not I, always, though. I mean, this is the I'd like to talk to Tom ca- guy. I mean, this, this, this is this is might be a step above Cornette, and I'm not joking, like Dr. Tom. Folks, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. We can now get a commercial, Quinn. There's some commercials in this one, folks, for sugar-free extra gum. Like dental shit and charts shown and Wrigley sugar-free gum will help, It'll I help guess. your teeth, Quinn. It'll yeah, help your naturally, enamel. Naturally, apparently. Yeah, sure. Uh, then a Fisher Favorites Mixed Nuts commercial. What even is this brand? And they were all like happy to say, we're gonna eat the nuts. And like, it's like, oh, honey, let's eat on the, let's sit on the couch and eat nuts together. <laughs> it was way too enthusiastic. The premise was like, is your normal nut mix boring? Like, yeah. I swear. Nobody thinks about that at all. They're just like, do they got planners? Like, you know, know what I mean? Like, nobody even looks at the other brands of nuts unless they're, they're like, really expensive that week and they wanted nuts. Mixed nuts never give you enough of your favorite nuts. But new Fisher favorites are all favorites. But these are lightly coated with luscious flavors, including pra- <laughs> there's pralines. What? Pralines and dick. He'd be pralines and dick. Anyway, we now get a commercial for Pillsbury Toaster Strudels. Some skateboard kid has Pop-Tart replaced by the Toaster Strudel, like, without him looking like his mom does the switcheroo behind his back. And he fucking loves it. Fuck Pop-Tarts. And this was my reaction when my mom pulled the switcheroo for the first time. It fucking ruled. They're amazing, Like, I remember not asking for Toaster Strudels. And I was, like, a constant, like, I had Pop-Tarts a lot growing up as a kid in the morning. Yeah. And I remember one morning... Literally, this happened where, like, there was toaster strudels just instead. For and, real? Yeah, and, oh. and I was like, what is this? And I was like, <laughs> this is a hundred times better. 
Like a hundred times. I remember my mom putting the stuff, the white yeah. uh, frosting on there for me. I, I could never say, do it right. Here you go. And yeah. then like I had it and I was like, why like why do we even get Pop Tarts? This is like a million times better. They did though, in all seriousness, they put Pop Tarts to shame. It was I'm, I'm insane dead serious, Quinn. how much the how good the upgrade was yeah. to toaster strudels, right? Yeah, no, Once they became something you could put in the the toaster. Because yes. I think that was the the tech that they hadn't figured out was like how do we make them so that they could be put in the freezer and then you would just put like seriously, like there was nothing like it before. No, the frozen kind, no. Yeah. You're right. It was very, very good. They're they're still delicious to yeah. this day. Next up, we get a five-star backpack commercial. You want to describe this one, Quinn? So this was odd to me. So basically, this hot chick at a high school, she likes this boy's backpack, not the boy. Yes. And his, like, trapper keeper <laughs> or something. She's like, they have it, like, you're hearing her head cannon thoughts yeah. right ever. She's like, that's a really good backpack. And, and wow, well, look at that trapper keeper. Like, this is really good. And But the boy... She's like, you know, giving him like an eye. Yeah. And he can't tell that she's looking at the backpack or whatever. So we and, hear and his cannon. We hear his cannon. And he's like, wow, this girl really likes yeah. me. I can't believe it. I think she's in love. That binder could really get me together. She's mesmerized by my bulging biceps. Also, I'm thinking, why is this hot girl secretly a dork? Because like she all she cares about is this fucking backpack. But now this other girl shows up and she's in love with the backpack and the ki- trapper keeper too. And I'm like, what is even this school? Like what what is this? Why are the popular girls into fucking backpacks? You got to have a good backpack, I guess. Yeah. That was important in the 90s. I guess. Jan By Sport. the way, everyone other than the second girl looked like they were like 26. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. They because probably were. the boy especially, I could see like wrinkles in his head. Like in he the, had a wedding ring on. Yeah, the girl looked way too old yeah. to be in t- high school. She looked like 28 <laughs> minimum. Like, <laughs> minimum? Yeah. All right. We're back now where Vince needs a cough drop, like seriously. We're going to hear comments as well from a whole host of other individuals, including... Lex Luger. Yeah. We talk about Lex Luger, and Bobby, of course, is still insisting that it was a hip toss on the Intrepid, not a body slam. Right. He also has had enough of Lex's stupid bus. Mm-hmm. Now, Vince asks if Bobby has been on the SummerSlam hotline. Bobby's like, no, I missed it. I was busy helping out at an orphanage. <laughs> no, I missed that. You, you missed the SummerSlam hotline? Well, yeah, I was, I was out. I was doing something. I was helping an orphanage. Go pick up a phone, Bobby Heenan. Now, anyway, if you want to waste your money, you can call one 900 420 Slam. Yuck. Yeah, I know. 420. <laughs> they now talk about if Yoko, you know, they're like, can Yokozuna be pinned? And mm-hmm. Vince is like, I think Lex Luger can do a Bobby Heenan. And Bobby's like, you know, fuck it. He can't. And then he almost falls off the chair. You're I love it. Stupid. <laughs> it's just like a Bobby, like, whoa. Yeah, like a weird Bobby, like, pratfall attempt. Yep. They continue to plug the hotline now. They need to calm. It's been like three <laughs> minutes of this. So, it's like so long. That that and it's not like an ad where the, the hotline's up. They're just they keep talking about it. They just they keep going into more things right. about the hotline. But Bobby Heenan, did you call the hotline Bobby Heenan? You know? Yeah. Rumor has it that, that you were dialing the hotline during the last pay-per-view here in the WWF. During the King of the Ring pay-per-view, we were told you were dialing the hotline. Anyway, we now somehow segue into Bobby making fun of Jerry Glanville, the football Ooh. coach, the football guy. Mm-hmm. And also, like, 7% of the population thinks Elvis is alive. Are you aware of, uh, changing your subject here completely, are you aware that 7% of the population here in the United States actually believes that Elvis Presley is alive? Well, 7% of the population here are ignorant. Of those 7%, one of them is Jim, uh, Jerry Glanville. What is this segment? It's so long. <laughs> It's so long, Joe. Don't worry, Quinn. It gets better as we now cut to a bizarre vignette of Jerry Lawler 
with an Elvis impersonator in a pink Cadillac. I bought this car in 1959 as a gift from my mama. Honestly, Quinn, this Elvis guy is even less Elvisy than Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> and where even are they? A park? <laughs> like, what is this place? It's bizarre. Lawler now makes fun of the hearts, saying that Bret Hart is trying to impersonate the king of wrestling. Also, King says that this car is a 1959, which means Helen was already 70 when it was oh. made. <laughs> I just couldn't help myself but laugh at that. Anytime King gets to take a shot at the Hart family... He's always very funny. I mean, he is. And he always, it always like, I like when King does it where it comes out of nowhere. Like yeah. he's talking about something else. And then it's also, and also fuck Stu Hart. Like, you know, like just yeah. randomly. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Now fake Elvis says that all the Elvis impersonators suck too. But he was just talking about that with JFK recently. And it's not right. I don't think, it, I don't think they're doing me justice. And I know a lot about impersonators. I was just having lunch with my good friend JFK the other day. Anyway, this is really fucking crappy. It's so lame. It's very 1993. Cause even King's in the junkie cape. Yeah, like the paper cape. No, or no shirt on. It's just not good. Oh, terrible segment. Yeah. We go back now to ringside where JR calls these two a pair of jerks. Mm -hmm. And now Bret Hart is standing by, Quinn. Yeah, he's in the cellophane room too, by the way. <laughs> he is. It's true. You know, I thought I could use some Reynolds rap. Yep. Anyway, he's had enough of Jerry Lawler making fun of his family. But I mean, you know, something about easy targets right, with the right. hearts. I These mean, are easy jokes, <laughs> Sorry. Honestly. Anyway, Brett says the match at the SummerSlam is not going to be fancy. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be a mutilation. The match I'm going to have with you at the SummerSlam. Also, Brett, <laughs> Brett told Stu and Helen not to be there, but they want to see the torture. Yeah, that sounds like the hearts. <laughs> I want to see his, uh, his leg fall off and his he, lip turn. His uh, lip to fall off and his dangle off. off of his face. Dangle his eyeballs. Yeah. Anyway, Brett says, I'm going to have all kinds of my brothers and my sisters and my family scattered around at the SummerSlam. I'm going to have all kinds of my brothers, my sisters, my family, my friends. They're going to be scattered all over the SummerSlam. How does he keep saying the summer? Like every every time SummerSlam gets brought up, it's the SummerSlam. <laughs> Brett then says that Lawler made a fatal mistake involving the Hart family, and he's going to pay for it. In the SummerSlam. Literally, the SummerSlam three times. <laughs> it's Brett's MO, man. I can't believe it. And you are going to pay for it big time in the SummerSlam. I thought... It's all he, the time. I thought when he said the SummerSlam, Joe... That I thought that he would not correct himself, but like it was only like occasional. No, it's every time. Like he was like, I'm like it would maybe be followed up with, I'm going to beat you at SummerSlam. No, it's the SummerSlam. It's Slam. always the SummerSlam. It's Just literally always. always the SummerSlam. Anyway, let's now hype up the Giant Gonzalez versus Undertaker feud. This is still going on. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. So Bobby asks Vince, you know, like what is a rest in peace match? Yeah, I'd like to know too. Yeah, and Vince is like, you don't know, but he doesn't yeah. tell him. Yeah. Because they don't Stupid. know. Stupid. What is an R.I.P. match? You don't know what a rest in peace match is? No, I don't. Do Let's, you? We go to ringside where Gene is in the ring. He brings out The Undertaker. The lights go out, which was actually new at the time. That started in 93. Oh, well, that's nice. And Taker is solo here because Paul Barrow was beat up, I think, by Mr. Hughes. I think that's why he's not member. We don't need member. to talk about that. No, we don't. Yeah. Gorilla and JR also wonder what the hell a rest in peace match is, too. Gorilla's very mad about it for some reason. <laughs> what is that shit? What is he talking about? He's gonna fucking tell us we get a gene better take him, you know, yeah. get, set him straight. Uh, we need to know. What a golden opportunity this is for me, Gene, to put it to this guy, to the Undertaker. Give us an answer. What on earth is a rest in peace match? So we clip now. We just clip Taker's entrance out a bit, and we clip to him just talking in the <laughs> ring. Skip everything he said to, to like, what is the rest in peace match? And he's like, it's when the Undertaker takes your flesh, 
drives his hand deep in your carcass and extracts every living organ that you have. What? So it's like an Undertaker gets to kill him match? <laughs> That's a bizarre description. He didn't right. tell us anything. He just, it's when I get to murder him. Rest <laughs> in ass. Why wasn't this match type ever in the video games? Yeah, I you don't know. know. The kill Let people you, match. Take their carcass out. The rest in peace match is simply this. It's when the Undertaker takes your flesh and drives his hand deep into your carcass and extracts every living organ that you have. You know what my favorite part of wrestling is, Quinn? The killing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, By the way, didn't Undertaker in WrestleMania, uh, the arcade game, in the didn't SummerSlam? he have a move where he could rip like a heart out or something? Oh, you're right. So maybe the, this match type was in there. Yeah, okay. You're right about that. I no, swear it, that that's, that's like, Kano. It's like down forward... <laughs> punch. You're Remember what Kano. Mortal Kombat moves? No, in WrestleMania, the arcade game. He didn't rip a heart out. Um, he might have. I don't there know. might have been something. It's possible. Yeah. Also, Quinn, he's going to possess his soul at the end of the night, too. Oh, okay. Okay. So, John Gonzalez now lumbers out to the ring with Harvey Whippleman. His hair's all fucked up. He's got the spray-on fur he on his terrible. Thing. Right? It, looks, it looks like the end of the line here it for John Gonzalez. Pretty much is. Gene asks for a little decorum. Oh, whoa! It's the second gentleman. Please, a little decorum here this week. As Gonzalez grabs the mic and tells Taker that this time, you won't get up. This time, you rest in peace. How pleasant. Yeah. This time, you rest in peace. Taker takes off the coat as Gene just gets the hell out of there. And Gonzalez just wanders away like really abruptly and stupidly. And we just go to break. What? That was dumb. That was odd. Why yeah. did they? They really just wanted us to know what the rest in peace match was, which the description ended up not telling us anything. No, not at all. People now hang out in the street on bikes or dancing or skateboarding or whatever. It's all very edgy. You know why? Because they're all wearing loose Levi's, which is also a folk band. This is during that time period where, like, jeans were kind of kind of falling out of favor. It was a lot of sweatpants, I feel. Do you, do you feel the same? No. I feel oh. like they were falling off people's asses. It yeah. was the loose era. Well, because Levi's didn't have loose at first, if you recall. This was a big deal that they the, had loose. Yes. It was like you had to get Jenkos or whatever. Yeah, and then like Levi's like, we're getting into the loose game. You right? watch, your, watch your asses, yeah. man. We're getting into the loose jeans game. Yeah. Oh, loose jeans. And I remember you could not get loose jeans for a while. It was hard to get slim fit. Well, back Snug. When, when I wanted to switch the... Remember I wore the slim fit to school. Everyone was like, what a dork. Yeah. I was like, I like this. Was it 95 or something? Yeah. Well, I was like, I, I, I actually like this because I'm a slim person. You are. So they, they fit me. You know? Slim pickings. Yeah. Next up, we have a reggae-themed commercial for sour cream and onion light Pringles. Less fat, damn it. People on the beach are like singing about it. It is so great. Screw those greasy potato they chips. Stink. They like should they put them on like a napkin side by side. Like yep. they put like Lay's versus Pringles on a napkin. It's like look how much less grease. Yeah, look at you fat asshole. Yeah. You switch over now. Also this week, Lifetime will be showing the best of L.A. Law. Oh, that's a show I never oh. watched. Uh, okay, I, I've seen a couple of episodes. Never it's saw not it. that amazing. Corbin Burnson. I think it's over. I uh, I know a lot of people who like L.A. Law like it a lot. Yeah, but I think it's always been overrated. Well, that's how I feel about Shawn Michaels. Next up, what? A promo. What? For HBO, where a director sucks or something, he's like, I didn't make that job. It's, it's not worth my breath. Right. Promotional consideration is paid for by Lex Lugo for Icapro brand laxatives. <laughs> Gotta want it. G.I. <laughs> Joe Cobra is being an asshole. Building a fucking robot. You need these figures. <laughs> you need them. And as usual, Quinn, Randy Savage can't fucking stand chips. Beef. 
You need spice. Snap into a Slim Jim. Ooh, yeah. He could try Pringles, too. Yeah. Well, they're less They're less fat. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, back to Vince and Bobby here, where Vince says the comments from Lex Luger have been candid, straightforward, and from the heart. And with that said, here is the final. Who is Lex Luger? I don't know. So first of all, Lex on patriotism. Lex and I've been to Japan. I respect <laughs> them and their technology, their business acumen. I have nothing against the Japanese people. Gotta respect the tech. He likes the tech. He also doesn't think, Quinn, that Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji are representative of the Japanese race. Yoko, no. Fuji, yes. I mean, uh-huh. he is Japanese. He is Hawaiian, but Japanese descent, yes. Right. Next up, Lex on the elbow pad. Lex says, I was going 55 miles an hour, which is the speed limit. This is the <laughs> worst. He's a face. <laughs> the worst Luger impression, yeah. by the way. I'm going to keep doing it. Sorry. And I woke up in the hospital. <laughs> it's not how he talks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll drop it. They're pirates. <laughs> he was told that he'd never be able to use his arm again. But six months later, he was back in the ring. Also, he has no problem, of course, with Tony's ruling about the elbow pad. Because he's a face now. Yeah. Five minutes ago, he's like, I don't wear an elbow. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> At King of the Ring, he's like, yo, fuck that shit. It's like a minute ago. <sighs> anyway, here's Lex on his one shot to be champion. And he says he just want I want one opportunity. Because America is the land of opportunity. And he's going to beat Yokozuna Quinn. And he's going to become the next WWF champion. Oh, no, don't say that. Also, by God... He's going to do it for America. And by God, I'll do it for America. Don't make promises. Why does he do this? Back to Vincent Brain, where Bobby says, you know, Lex Luger's baffling. He doesn't understand why Luger's trying to win this for everyone in the United States. I don't get it either. What's America ever done for you, Bobby says? Well, that's a little... I know. Yeah. And Vince gets all serious. This is serious Vince hype now. He's like, Bobby Heenan. Luger's been on the Lux Express. He's been meeting the real people. So because of that, no one has the pulse of a miracle quite like Lex Luger. Really? (laughs) (laughs) What? Vince tries to compare this to the Olympics and Luger getting the gold medal. And then he gets ultra ham-fisted and volitious, baby, with this cell job. Lex Luger looks at this not as a burden, but as an opportunity, as indeed, I believe, a privilege and as such, I think Lex Luger has already established himself as a champion. Which makes the ending to SummerSlam, Quinn, even funnier. Yeah, this sounds horrible in retrospect. At least they tried they to tr- make like, but- Luger, but like, if there's no payoff, then all of this makes him just look dumb. Yeah, it's bad enough uh, how over the top this is, but they tried, right? Right, yeah. But considering the ending, this is separate canon, so we're allowed to talk about the ending, right? Right. Considering the fucking dumbass dopey ending they booked, <sighs> this looks really stupid. It's horrible. It's just horrible. So Bobby's like, you know what? Fine. You want to talk champions? Let's talk champions. Yokozuna. There you go. As we cut to ringside where Yoko has entered the ring with Mr. Fuji, we still got the geishas here. As mm-hmm. Norm Abram watches on from ringside. I swear that's what? Norm Abram. No, it is. From the construction show? From the new him? Yankee workshop. Yeah. Fresh off the set. Your favorite. <laughs> Mike Kiyota is going to be a referee here as Gorilla bitches about the elbow pad. All mad. Give me a break. Yeah. Why does he have to do that? What, what is, is that fucking bullshit? <laughs> and before Cornette even came on the scene, President Jack Tunney put that first binder in there where Lex has to wear that forearm pad for this guy's benefit. Give me a break. The announcers next talk about how fat Yokozuna is. And then Quinn. Oh, yes. It's fucking Duggan. Good. Yep. Jim Duggan proudly storms out. Huge 
reaction. Also, very weird to see Duggan on WWF TV this late. This is really, really late. And spoil ours, this is his last appearance. You oh, know? really? Okay. Yeah. So, one of the Rosatis is in the crowd. I happily saw that. Yeah. <laughs> They're nice. Made me happy. They're so nice. Norm Abram also gets a high five oh, from okay. Duggan. Well, new Yankee workshop, Yankees America. Yeah. Clearly. America. He probably likes the two by four wood yep. building things, construction. It's all Norb Abrams connected. This I think. is all in his wheelhouse, Quinn. Yeah. Jim Subtle Ross then says this match won't be pretty. Yeah, no shit. Mm-hmm. Big USA chant rings out as we see an insert of Duggan holding his new baby daughter. Aww. I know. Why does Duggan seem awesome? He's like, probably he a decent seems guy. Seems like the nicest man. Decent man, I think. Yeah. And I like that picture of him holding his daughter. I'm Very, not going to ever. I'm glad that they put it up on the screen using the in the box graphics for once for <laughs> right. a good thing. Yeah, it was nice. Yep. By the way, the ring skirt, I haven't mentioned this. It's all crinkly. I didn't even notice. Very budget. The whole ring looks like shit anyway. Well, it's Poughkeepsie. Take that for what you will. Duggan stomps around as Yoko takes off his robe. We get a bell. It's go time. And then Duggan starts off with another USA champ before attacking Yoko from behind while he's bowing to Fuji. I'm okay with it. You would be. Uh, big rights by Hacksaw on the corner. He then grabs a 2 by 4 like an asshole, but Kyoto yanks it away, you know, because it's cheating. So then Duggan turns right around to some karate by Yoko and some rope choking, and that's Duggan's own stupid fault Fair for trying enough. to cheat. Fair enough. You don't just hit people with boards. But the thing is, I think he they keep selling that he's, like, really mad that, like, he sat on him or whatever before. <laughs> so I think, like, the, we're supposed to get... Honestly, I really think the story of this is like that Duggan isn't, yeah. he's not putting up with shit. He's just like, if he needs a weapon to beat this guy, fuck it, yeah, right? Yeah, no, that's it's what like, it is. It's like, he, he, he was the jerk first. That is the total, that yeah. is the story. Yeah. You're right. So Fuji with a very happy cheap sahaha to the leg as we go to break. And now Dave Thomas. <laughs> there Tom, we go. Dave Thomas is sitting at his dining room table waiting for Wendy, who's off screen to make dinner. Here we go. We finally get to see Wendy. Wendy Cannon. Wendy Cannon. Hey, Wendy, you going to be ready? Oh, a little bit, Dad. But it's going to be a while, so Dave's, you know, I'm going to go to Wendy's. <sighs> she missed her shot to be on Wendy's Cannon. It would take like another like two decades yeah. for Wendy to appear on Wendy Cannon. Unfortunately. Wendy, how's dinner coming? Dad, it's going to be another 20 minutes. Anyway, this is the wonderful era of Joe Sorolla on the voiceover with the Come Try Wendy's Big Baking Classic with three strips of bacon. You know, I love his comforting <laughs> oh, voice. Yes. This is this is prime Wendy's canon. Introducing our biggest classic, a quarter pound of fresh beef. Jeez, three big strips of bacon. He could say anything. Shovel your cat litter. You know, like, and I, was, I love Joe Sorolla's voice. Exxon Mobil, put gas in your ass. I, just, I love him. Next up. A mild-mannered man <laughs> tells us about how great it is to work at AutoZone, you know? It's about listening to the customers. They know their cars. Yeah, he's very earnest about this. He just loves to help fix people's cars, <laughs> huh? When like, I- and this is so different from later. It's like, AutoZone, <laughs> get your shit! Like, you know what I mean? Like, instead, it's like, I really care about my customers' cars, and, you know, I really try to find the best parts for them, and, you know, Bill comes in every week, and... <laughs> been having a real tough time with his carburetor and i've just been really helping him with his timing belts and all that stuff and i just you know i really want to help the customers and like 10 years later it's like auto zone yeah! if you don't know the fucking part we ain't gonna fucking help you it's auto zone when i walk in there i get looked at you know yeah, <laughs> I, dirty honestly, looks. I, still to this day i don't like to go into auto zone if i need anything because i do really feel like there's auto zone people Right. And you walk in and they're in there all the time. It's the same people. Right. And you just feel like I 
I need to have some expertise to walk in AutoZone, right? I got to know what I'm talking about, yeah. or these people are going to get pissed, right? And there's one right around the corner, too. Yeah. I, there's Again, it's the same. There's car head people in our town. And, car head. You know, the people who care. And I got nothing against that. No, But they're the either. people who, like, live in AutoZone, right? You you see the same cars parked outside AutoZone all the time. You see the guys tinkering with yeah, their cars. It's a place to be, man. Yeah. Next up, we get a bizarre commercial about shopping for clothes, which winds up at Foot Locker. I don't know. Basically, this kid, some kid doesn't like fashion, so he gets shoes instead. It's very lame. <laughs> it's not good. But this fall, there's a new name for adventure on television. It's Briscoe County Junior. Who? <laughs> I, I was like, I never remembered this I, at all. I vaguely do. What was this on for like three episodes and they canceled it? I think just a season on yeah. Fox. Yeah, nothing major. But we're back now where Yokozuna is kicking the shit out of Duggan. Yeah, he's kicking a lot of butt. A lot of, a lot of butt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Corner whip by Yoko. Charge. Duggan moves. Yoko goes down to one knee. Duggan tries to recuperate. He makes it up, but Yoko clubs away off the ropes, though, is Duggan. Big forearm punches on Yoko off the ropes again. Huge clothesline. Yoko's still up. Duggan off the ropes again. Another clothesline. Yoko's standing, but he's wobbly. Hacksaw off the ropes again. Clothesline, and Yoko goes down in a huge pop. Yeah, Duggan celebrates, like, all happy. It's very good. It is good. I like it. Duggan, and he Duggan now goes for the three-point stance, but Fuji quickly scoops the leg. Ha <laughs> ha. Big surprise. <laughs> Big surprise. Kyoto didn't see it, though, so now Yoko's back up. Duggan yells at Fuji in the corner. Splash by Yoko. Chop. Duggan is down. Yokozuna goes up. Bonsai. One, two, three. As the peaceful tones of Yoko's music descends on the arena. It's That's all right. Nice. Goodbye, Mr. Duggan. Yeah, aw. Been a hell of a run. It has been. Yoko celebrates and then goes to, goes back upstairs, but a gaggle of refs now run out. They get Hacksaw out of there. We cut back to Vince, backstage with Cornette, Yoko, and Fuji. Yoko says Yosh a few times before Cornette gets on the mic. His yellow coat. Very French as mustard. Yeah. Cornette, <laughs> Mr. Fuji. Duggan will never be the same again. Cornette also, by the way, has a proud Marilyn Monroe this tie. This was very distracting. It's like just a piece of her face. Yeah. It's not even like, it's just like her eye sideways or something. Like, it's bizarre. But basically, his whole point is that Yokozuna is going to beat the absolute shit out of Luger at SummerSlam. By the way, Fuji behind, uh, <laughs> all happy behind Yoko is always in him. Of course, Yoko with his trademark. Yosh. It's tre- tremendous promo, by the way, for yep. uh, Corny. It's good. Yosh. Okay. Yeah, another Yosh. And I'll say this. I gotta be fair. I know you don't like him, mm-hmm. but uh, Cornette fucking sold this huge, the importance of it. I mean, he did. We'll go back to Bobby and Vince, where Vince asks if Yokozuna is worthy to be a role model, because Luger has certainly accepted that responsibility. Calm down. I know. He, what, he can't accept it if he's not the champion. So. <laughs> That's true. He's just saying he's ready for it. He's like practicing at being a role model. It's very... I, I don't like this. Why don't they show him like... You know, fighting wrestlers and like, you know, getting good wins instead of like, you know, going around the country or whatever. I feel like that's not telling me that he can beat Yokozuna. Right. He actually hasn't wrestled this whole time. Right. Stupid. Anyway, we now get the ultra dramatic I'll Be Your Hero video. This. At least they tried. That's going to be the catchphrase for SummerSlam 93. At least least they they tried. tried. They did. Holding my hand every step of the way. Is this a Brian Adams song? Like, what is he singing? I'm not sure. You mean Crush? Yeah. No, what's the What's the other guy? I'll be a hero, Brian. The, the fucking singer Brian Adams. I know. Oh, is that who you meant? That Brian I'm sorry, Adams. I yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Oh, that Axel. That Adams. 
Not John, oh, not John Adams, <laughs> Brian Adams. Not John not Quincy the, Adams. Not the other Brian Adams, the singing Brian Adams. Not Ken Adams. Yeah. Hi, Ken Adams. Nice to meet you. You get shots of uh, Luger on the bus, a lot of those, you know, and then Luger off the bus, near the bus, body slamming Yoko for Abe Lincoln or something. I don't know. <laughs> this is really what they were doing, huh? It's kind of upsetting. Yeah, because it's very, it's empty. It's kind of like we we need to replace Hulk Hogan quick. That, yeah. Stat. They, it's like they were really like relying on Hulk Hogan. I think they got, I think they got caught off guard when he like said like I'm leaving brother for real. Like I'm not coming back. Somewhere Josh Kuhn is smugly smiling at you, Quinn. <sighs> so I mean with all this build, Quinn, you'd think he's got to be winning right. the then title, what's the right? Point of all of That's this, the right? Cuz now you've doomed him to face them. Yeah. Cuz he was a great heel. I think he was a good heel. I mean if they would have let that run longer, I think it would have been good for him, but right. whatever. Anyway, this leads us to break where we get a DeVry commercial. Very nice. Some good people I know went there. Yeah, a lot of people went there that were good. Good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silk Stockings commercial now, Quinn. New fucking season, Joe. Get on board. It starts September 13th. Uh, That's Mortal Monday, you know. Oh, Mortal Monday. Remember Mortal Monday? Why didn't they mention that? Yeah, no Mortal, Mortal Monday commercials, huh? Odd. That was the day that Mortal Kombat came out for uh, Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. Yeah. It was a big de- it was a big fucking deal. The thing was is I got the Super Nintendo one where the dust commanded them or whatever. <laughs> like, sweat, yeah. The sweat. It's dust. It lo- I called it dust as a kid cuz I didn't know it was called sweat. I didn't learn that it was sweat until EGM came out like a month later or something. It's not that long. I least. called it my my in my head canon it was dust. It's fine. They were very dusty uh, fighters. I mean Kano was a little dusty. Right. Anyway, sure. more promotional consideration is paid for by Jurassic Park figures. Look for the JP Mark. <laughs> you know what that, all that says to me is that there was way too many dinosaur figures yep. and like Jurassic Park was like fighting a losing battle yeah. by having like Jurassic Park versions. Yeah, because Jurassic I mean, dinosaur figures were common forever. Yeah, before there even was a Jurassic Park. Yeah. There was, you could get rubber, you know, plastic dinosaurs forever. My I had kid, tons of them. My kid has some now. Uh, also, Bart's Nightmare on Genesis, which is narrated by Lord Alfred Hayes. This is glorious. You need it. to drop that in. Bart's Nightmare is now on Genesis. Take to the skies as Bartman. Battle Homer Kong and more in Bart's Nightmare. For Genesis, it's a dream come true. And bicycle playing cards in case you forgot the cards existed. Neat. (laughs) Vince and Bobby then come back to tell us that Raw will not be on for the next two weeks because Mm -hmm. they're preempted. And Bobby, not the dog show. Which is very meta. I I like that. Bobby acknowledged it. Yeah. And Vince is like, no, Bobby Heenan, not the dog show. It's the US Open, which I mean... Let's be honest. That's a much better reason. It is a much... That's like a real sporting event. Yeah. <laughs> People might not be the biggest tennis fans, but that's a legit sporting event. Right. And uh, Bobby, of course, they're taking me off the air to put you 110-pound guys in white dresses, right dresses throwing up a badminton ball. Vince tells him to calm down, though, because he's going to be at SummerSlam next week. And Vince makes one last sell job for the pay-per-view as we get the hell out of here. Buy it, damn it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Like, seriously, they could have just hung a giant banner behind them saying, order SummerSlam for an hour. Yeah, with a phone number, maybe. And it would have accomplished the same thing that this right. show did. But it was okay, I guess. Yeah, it was fine, but it was a ho-hum sum- SummerSlam spectacular compared to ones in the past, if you ask me. Not as hot, although this was the one hour, so. Yeah, I don't I, know. It just didn't work as well as, like, the 92 one or whatever. Do you want to know what we missed on the two-hour version? I figure people might want to know this. Mm longer versions of the matches we saw yep, right? and, and, and probably let's see is there anything with Shawn Michaels perhaps actually there was Razor Ramon pinned Blake Beverly oh love Blake Beverly still, still there, there? just Blake mm-hmm. Marty Jannetty pinned Dwayne Gill what 
Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels pinned Bob Backlund with oh. a roll-up. <laughs> I love I, this is the continued like Bob Backlund sucks tour. Yeah. Exactly what yeah. it is. The Smoking Guns and Tatanka defeated Reno Riggins, Ooh. Barry Horowitz, and the Brooklyn Brawler. That's a hell of a jobber That's team. That's an all-star jobber team right yep. there. Only so, for the spectacular, obviously. Only for the spectacular. Those are the matches we missed on the two-hour version. A lot of matches, actually. That's like a whole Superstars episode right there. Pretty much, man. And uh, that's really... That'll do it. I mean, yeah, it is okay hype. I mean, again, the Lex Luger thing here in full overdrive. Right. And obviously, folks, we're going to be getting into SummerSlam, but whether you're a patron or not, we just wanted to give you guys a taste of where we're at right. in the pay-per-view can. And if you don't want it, don't. It don't. I mean, it's whatever. But right. if you do want to, you can at patreon.com slash OVP podcast. But... One way or another, we thank you guys for being with us here. The one favor I do have to ask, and it's completely free, is if you could please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate that. Yes. But obviously, folks, we will be back next week to get into another week of the Royal Flush. We'll be reviewing something. In the meantime, join the group on Facebook. You can email us at ovppodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter. But until next time, I'm Joe Morata. That's Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya. You know, I just want to say that I've heard you make the statement, Vince McMahon. I've heard a lot of people make the statement that Lex Luger has awakened a sleeping giant. Well, I got news for you, brother. The great Yokozuna was never asleep. He was always a beast. But now he's a rabid animal. He's a mad dog. You whipped him into a frenzy and he's ready for SummerSlam, ready for Auburn Hills, ready for that palace and ready to chew Lex Luger up and spit him out into bits. And Lex Luger, I want you to remember this. You asked for this match. You wanted the opportunity. You wanted to take the chance to win the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship. So now what you've got to do is take the responsibility on yourself. The actions that Yokozuna is going to take at SummerSlam will be on your head. I don't want it on my conscience. Mr. Fuji doesn't want it on his conscience. Yokozuna does not have a conscience. When you look at him, you see no pity, you see no fear, and you see no compassion. So at SummerSlam, Lex Luger, when that match takes place, when that first bonsai drop lands on you, you're going to roll over with pain etched across your face, holding your insides together, and you're going to say, Jim Cornette, please stop Yokozuna. Please get him off of me. You know what I'm going to say, Luger? I'm going to say, I can't because it's gone too far, and it's on your head. So then when that second bonsai drop lands at SummerSlam, you're going to turn over with those cracked ribs, those internal injuries, with tears streaming down your face, tears of pain. You're going to look at Mr. Fuji, and you're going to say, Super Bowl Saturday? Saturday.